The best rugby insight and analysis. OTB Sports Rugby. They don't look like the All Blacks. They're not playing like the All Blacks. They're barely clinging on. They never really looked like they would win Test 2 or 3. Subscribe to the rugby stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Tuesday morning. And if you're waking up a Liverpool fan this morning, you're a little bit anxious, right? Because, you know, four points behind Manchester City out of two games. Is the season over, Owen? That's the serious question. Um, It's not as ridiculous a question as it seems. It's not. You're saying it's ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Four point lead. You're just handily giving the greatest, most expensively assembled selection of footballers ever with one of the greatest managers ever and like a youth system that is like belching out players worth 15 to 20 million quid you're giving them a handy four point lead at the start of the season you're handicapping yourself straight away you are of course you're handicapping yourself straight away Manchester City have gone in to become raging hot favourites after the first couple of weeks of the season that, that's what's changed I just think that we fell into this trap last season, maybe a little bit later in the season than, than this, after things had kind of developed where we thought that Liverpool hadn't a prayer against Manchester City. And since then, Manchester City have strengthened. And maybe you can make the case that since Sadio Mane has left, Liverpool have weakened. Time will tell. Will it be a net gain or a net loss? Mane out, Darwin Nunez in. I know that there are other attackers in the squad from last year, but that's essentially what it might boil down to when you're comparing last uh, season's attack to, to this season's attack. Time will tell. I'm I'm not buying this thing being over just yet uh, because, because of what happened last year. At the start of last season, the prediction was that City would run away with the title and Chelsea could possibly be their, their nearest challenger. That didn't materialise. And even around Christmas, we were saying Liverpool are dead. And yet we had a final day showdown that was brilliantly dramatic. And as long as Jurgen Klopp is in that dressing room, I'm not writing Liverpool out of the fight. Um, okay. Is there a possibility, though, that this year is like a down year for Liverpool the way two seasons ago was? And everybody's going to go, oh, they were the injury crisis at centre-back and that was the only thing that happened. And also, it's kind of the COVID issue is, is, is real. But, like, they had most of their available players when um, Phyllis banked them the previous season. Uh, most of their best players were available. I think Alisson might have been missing, but certainly... It was Virgil, before Van Dijk's injury. Virgil was playing there, yeah. Uh, so they'd already started that season a little bit lacklustre and... They're conceding goals first. Is it seven or eight games in a row they've conceded first? Um, I don't know. I'm just concerned here. I'm hoping that we were going to have a league title race that these two great teams will continue to push each other the way they did last season at the end. But I just think that Manchester City have invested really, 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 really well. Mm. And like Liverpool are still hoping that some of those kids are coming through and going to have an impact and be able to play at Premier League level when uh, if there's an injury for City what they're doing is they're putting in a 60 million quid player to a degree yeah like it, it's it, it's only if Manchester City get a, a pile up of injuries that's when they have to start looking at players who are unproven they, they can sustain uh, a handful of injuries to their first team squad and they will be fine but Pep does like to operate with a relatively tight knit squad he, do, he doesn't have top class players coming out of his ear balls like this is not a situation that he's in he, that he deliberately crafts this that he has uh, a relatively tight squad and the World Cup will become a factor and yes I know their brand shiny new signing well, it's won't the be same going. for both of them right it, it is like Salah's not going either so that, that probably cancels each other out 
I guess my point is that we just don't know what's going to happen. And I do think the fitness thing is always going to be a factor in the, the story of a season. Because when Liverpool got all those injuries a couple of seasons ago, that was hugely significant. Sure, they wouldn't have won the title anyway. They, they, they would have struggled to, to get top two anyway, uh, even, even if they had everybody fit, given the malaise that was going on that season. So maybe that's just what happens this year. But there is, it's not unthinkable to suggest that Manchester City could get injuries. Now, you look at last season, I was just looking at it earlier on, I, yeah, couldn't, find, I couldn't find an end of season tally, but on April 4th, the latest um, injury table at that point put Manchester City in the, the fourth best position. As this, in? This is injuries per uh, 1,000 minutes rate, and they were um Do you want to be at the top of that table or the bottom of that table? You want to be at the top. Okay. And Manchester City were fourth, and the teams above them weren't playing on a number of different fronts like Manchester City were. Liverpool were 10th. So I don't think they were as bad as they were the previous season, but they were mid-table last season. Manchester City near the top of the table. So no, no, the form would suggest that I, injuries are going to go City's way. No, okay, the one thing is, right, if you sign Thiago, you're automatically mid-table in that because you know he's going to miss half the games. And so you can't be surprised when your star midfielder misses half of the games because that's the injury profile. It's a bit like... Um, it's a bit like when... Wasn't it Varane? When, when he arrived, everyone was like, well, uh, this guy only plays 20, 20, 22, 24 games a year. It's like, okay, well, maybe, so maybe when Madrid was selling him, they knew something about it. Well, so yeah. you, you just need to be aware of these things. Like, the best ability is availability. You should get an applause for that. We should, um, the, like, the great example for that is Liverpool centre-back and who plays alongside Van Dijk when Van Dijk is fit and that's been a big problem for them it was a problem last night where Joe Gomez wasn't uh, fully good to go and he was talking about you know it being another two weeks for Joel Matip last night and Klopp said that this week was crazy it was like we had a witch in the building honestly I don't think it takes a witch to curse Joel Matip we know that his injury record is is bad and as you say maybe there are other factors here where you could you can actually identify and predict that there will be injuries in in certain positions that maybe Manchester City don't have. Now, to be fair, Manchester City, like you look at someone like Kevin De Bruyne, who you can also count on getting injured at some point uh, this season, and and that has been the case uh, for, for the last few years. The problem is, is that uh, everybody else seems relatively robust. They never signed Wijnaldum back. They never said, yeah, OK, come on back. Too late, Roma. Well, they've not done that, though. Is that, did that, that just seemed like a fairly obvious hmm. ground. You got, you got that money. Don't tell anybody we're going to pay you fairly similar to what you're getting at PSG. But... If you can do that for us, we'll, we'll work that out. Would that not have been a, an idea? I thought I like. I think we floated this, didn't we? And Phil Egan was in here and had a, a very reasoned response to that. That was like okay, it just maybe just a little bit too old. I, I, I well, don't know. Uh, you know. Uh, so let's go through some of these comments. Uh, Aina Carroll says, "Man, I arguably the best player is gone. Henderson long in the tooth. James Milner nearly forty. Thiago injured. Phillips and Elliott are mid-table players." The the Phillips and Elliott we don't know yet how good they're going to be but at the moment you would say that they're a step below the players that Manchester City are yeah, bringing Phillips in Phillips definitely won't be like well Elliot, Elliot I, I agree yeah like Phillips is 25 now okay um, Elliot is definitely yeah, some, some players make it at that level at that stage you know I'm, I'm not ruling off the, out the possibility but you're right it's, you're, it, I, my point is that they're miles and miles and miles behind whoever's coming off the bench for City mm. and you're trying to go toe to toe with City in this scenario and I don't know. I think that these early games, like these are these are six points from the the home game against Palace and a game against Fulham. You expect Manchester City to get six points from those games. That's why it. That's why this result, as opposed to the Chelsea Spurs result, where you know you you expect to drop some points against other top four teams. That's fine. I think 
in, at the end of the season, Chelsea would be like, that was okay. Because you can see Spurs maybe taking something off City. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you that drawing with Crystal Palace is a worse result than drawing with Tottenham. Of course it is. And like these are four bad points dropped by Liverpool. <laughs> there is, uh, and four, uh, losing four points to Manchester City is always going to be uh, worrisome. I'm, I'm just making the case that it's just, I, I feel like we've, we fell into this trap last season. Well, John Claffey asks, were City not 12 points ahead at one stage last year? There were loads of games in hand, were there at that stage when it was 12 points or was it 12 points and no games in hand? Uh, I'm not sure. I definitely tweeted in the around, end. In the end, I definitely tweeted around the time that we could be seeing the first team to win the league by 20 points uh, when they were on that run and Liverpool were stuttering around the, the middle part of the season. What happened, City? Did something? Was there something specific? I can't remember the like. Why did they stutter? Might might they have stuttered because they didn't have a goal scoring machine at centre forward? It's, it's possibly a factor. To be fair, and like I do think on Saturday that Manchester City win the game 4-0 last season and they've had an ability to do that at home at multiple times over the past few years like regularly beating Burnley 5-0 uh, and I, I don't think what we've seen over the first two games is I don't think the results that have come on the back of Erling Haaland being there it's just things can get even better is the problem because Erling Haaland after the weekend didn't even explode in the previous week he was excellent he had two like a couple of significant moments that that, that really signified why he is one of the best young players in the world so that's, that, that's kind of the worrying thing is that he's been good the first two weeks and he can get even better like his assist for Gundogan on Saturday was absolutely incredible it was it, it so was they're, 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 you, you think that but they would have found another way to win that game 4-0 last yeah, season yeah but I, I kind of think that doesn't matter right they were a very good team and they've been a very good team for the last three or four seasons record breaking in some instances but they, they've got better is the problem you can't yeah. deny they've got better by adding him in it turns out we were concerned we hoped as as neutrals that perhaps there would be a betting in period and it would take a bit of time and that actually he would upset the equilibrium of the team mm. blah 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 didn't happen hasn't happened now it's very early it, you know maybe there's a massive I see pictures of him in the in the sea in Spain it's like maybe that would piss people off somehow I don't know maybe they were all allowed to go to Spain and it's no big deal but like the rest of the league is desperately hoping that somehow something happens where a resentment creeps into that changing room and people start passing to him on purpose, out of, <laughs> out of rivalry. That's the only thing that I can see that might possibly go wrong here. Some Mbappe style, like, there are many kings in this world, there was only one god. I am Mbappe Romario, who was the original with the quote. I am uh, Haaland, I am god. That's the, a god complex infesting the changing room is the only thing that can stop them now, right? Yeah. You still think Liverpool could stop them I still think Liverpool can mount a title challenge. Yeah, I'm like. How close will they get it now? Will uh, they will they lead the league at any point this season? Are, are you are you asking me to honestly predict? And my honest prediction is no. I don't, I don't think so. I think Manchester City will. I predicted before the season Manchester City would win the league, and I I'm predicting now that Manchester City will win the league. <laughs> Them going four points clear of Liverpool certainly strengthens that. Well, it but removes a lot of the sense of jeopardy that we might have had if the, if the results had been somehow the opposite. We'd all be very excited. Uh, yeah, I, I just think that we're still in the realm of prediction now. And like at the start of the season, if you asked me would Liverpool lead, the, lead, lead Manchester City at any point, I'd be like, I'm not, not actually sure they would because I'm, I still but think Manchester City will win. start the season. They got this, I know, they got but so did City. Fixtures. So did City. And like Liverpool, to be fair, have had Manchester United third up and Manchester, like at the, I'm talking about the start of the season. Man, United was suddenly going, going the, wow, we're playing, this team aren't great. Yeah. 
my point is just that I, I let's just not write the, the let's just not write the season off completely for the the title race. And as we saw on Sunday, may, maybe those two teams in, in Spurs and Chelsea will will go a lot longer than we think. And and like maybe it's last year's prediction. Maybe last year's prediction is actually the one that maintains it this year. Where I thought that Chelsea were actually going to challenge for the Premier League title after winning the Champions League, and Liverpool would fall back a little bit. Maybe that's just what happens this year, where Chelsea become the second in command and and Liverpool finish third. And like I know a lot of people made that prediction for Spurs that they would be able to usurp Liverpool as well. So maybe we can separate those two things. Is the title race over? No. Are Liverpool going to win it? Possibly also no. Okay, very quickly some comments. Uh, Owen Cleary, the question is: Have Man City turned the Premier League into the Farmers League? Chris Cal says title over. Then Richard Redball says the Klopp smile is starting to slip. Van Dyke defends on vibes, and Klopp is having a go at reporters already. The curve is on the way down. Owen Cleary, I've already done that one. I think. Uh, sorry, Liverpool certainly have an aging midfield, and the drop off beneath that is young and unproven. Certainly a drop incoming. Two or three midfielders needed next year. Maybe you make. Maybe can you can you convince and spend the hundred million and sign Jude Bellingham now and change the vibe? Uh, Genghis Khan says Liverpool have the longest current unbeaten streak in the league. Twenty games. Relax, Jer. I mean, they, you get a point and you're unbeaten, but you get a point and you fall two behind. That's what's happening. Mm. So the unbeaten is kind of like they would have been better. Literally, they would have been better losing their opening day game and winning last night. Yeah, I, I do think. Because we're in a small sample size, we can uh, be forgiven for what I've seen. And I do think there were a couple of moments against Fulham. Now, Fulham were good, very, very good that day. But Luis Diaz should have scored against Fulham. Definitely should have. And they should have scored possibly before Palace did last night. That They should have been in the lead. Oh, totally. So, so I think within those 180 minutes, we can make uh, an argument to be made. There, there are a couple of free things that have happened here. But if this continues to happen, if Mo Salah continues to underwhelm uh, as the season goes on, obviously they've got... They've got no chance. They they need they need him to fire. It's as simple as that, and that goes for the, the vast majority of their their star players because well, they can't switch it like City can in that front three. Where if Grealish is off the, the boiler, Foden's off the boiler, just have one or the other to, to hop in. Yeah. All right. Seven forty four this morning. OTBA and brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Now we're back in Vicar Street in association with Cadbury FC tomorrow night. It's an absolutely massive roadshow coming your way. Michael Owen, Ian Wright, Emma Byrne and Karen Carney are going to be our guests. There will be some brilliant stories on the night, as you would expect. And we'll also be talking about the big issues in uh, world football as well. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited. Don't delay. otbsports.com forward slash events. And a reminder, ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. T's and C's apply. We'll see you on the night. Coming up between now and... 10 this morning Niall O'Toole is in Munich at the European Championships he's going to join us to talk to us about the context of the achievement of the rowers the continuing cycle that we're in at the moment and how much we should enjoy that sports pages for you uh, at 8.35 uh, we'll have a lap of honour from John Duggan uh, deservedly so after another big win um, in virtual insanity Gareth Roberts is going to join us to talk about Liverpool at 8.50 and Max Watchman is going to talk to us about the uh, Dublin Horse Show which takes place this weekend um, we want to hear from you 087-918-180 is the WhatsApp number or of course you can uh, leave a comment on the YouTube stream for us as well um, I realise it doesn't quite work the same but you've been yarrowing away Arsenal now for a while and things have changed and you're yeah. getting sucked in because they're on telly like yeah, the, the back side of it is like I love these guys now and they're on TV again this week they're in the half-five game against Bournemouth on Saturday so uh, they're just you're like Michael Checker. They're your boys now. My boys now. I, I think to be fair, I, I uh, was was I right last season when I yared them away? Like, I, how did they finish? They did finish fifth. So yeah, I guess so. Okay. Uh, they did battle it in the end, which I thought was coming. Although I did, I think I started to change my tune in, within the last month, where I thought this could actually happen, and uh, it didn't. So maybe they'll they'll tease us along for. 
the, the duration of the season. But as I said last week, it, it could be a case where they have a very good year and there are four teams better than them again this season. When Gabriel Jesus signed, I, I quickly found his um, XG. XG and WhatsApp to you. And I was like, ah, oh, look, this guy's, this guy's rubbish. Don't get in your hopes up, bets. And then all of a sudden, it's wrong. So whatever was happening to him. Well, I mean, you said that he should have scored five goals on Saturday. And I know, but like... You, you, you take that you yeah. take the two goals being scored actually <laughs> as opposed to the expected goals that he's missing yeah and the first goal was uh, an XG of 0.00001 I would suspect it was an absolutely phenomenal finish and he's just been a revelation and by all accounts has been outstanding behind the scenes as well inserted immediately into the leadership group that Arteta has created around Martin Odegaard I'm just reading a piece in The Athletic yesterday apparently it's a three-man leadership group Odegaard, Gabriel Jesus and Granit Xhaka like Granit Xhaka is probably going to become Arsenal captain again at some point this season when Odegaard is out or is rested like what a turnaround that whole story arc has been and I think even as recent as last week or the week before Arsenal were saying well we'll buy Yuri Tielemans if we can sell Granit Xhaka and I'm not yeah, sure how true that is because like when you look at the all or nothing documentary I know everybody comes across really well because Arsenal are you know, taking part Erdinger. in this. But uh, Granit Xhaka does come across as really well and even like when he gets a red card against Liverpool last season in the EFL Cup, like he's laughing and joking with Bakayo Saka uh, like a, about how he saved the team from a certain goal at that point because Saka gave the ball away and Saka should be thanking him for taking the red card, taking one for the team. And he just comes across as really well liked in the dressing room despite the fact that the fans really hated him and he hated the fans for a period of time there. But he scored at the weekend and the fans love him again and maybe he loves the fans again and maybe this is just a situation where he saved his Arsenal career because Yuri Tielemans wasn't great on Saturday and maybe Arsenal are now done maybe they're not going to sign that extra midfielder that they were being spoken about uh, with uh, for, for the entirety of the summer so that's been interesting Like that, that's an un- unexpected early storyline that himself and Jesus have, have become part of that leadership group with Jesus I'm sure part of it is to do with the fact that He's Brazilian. There's like a, a, a big Portuguese-speaking contingent in that dressing room now. At this point, uh, like people who are called Gabriel, people who call Portuguese or people who speak Portuguese, seem to make up a, a huge percentage of the of the entire dressing room. And I guess just his winning mentality, having done a lot so young himself and Sinchenko, I know celebrated together immediately after one of the goals on Saturday. Like it all just kind of makes sense now. Like it's all very exciting that this is a team that can withstand the setbacks that are going to come because they have a very forgiving opening to the season. And when, once that fixture list was announced, you're thinking to yourself, right, okay, they, they weren't too bad at the end of last, last season, so they should start the season better. And it seems that that's exactly what happened. So born with this weekend, you would think that they'll get to nine points. And, and what a start that'll be. And what would success look like at the end of the season? A top four. Like, even though I, I, I have almost forgiven them for not getting top four because it's very possible that Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool will end up with more points. I still don't think that'll be acceptable to the hierarchy of the club. They've spent so much money over the last two windows. And yes, they may not have the fourth best squad in the league. They may have the fifth best squad in the league. But I still think they have to find a way to ensure that they finish top four. They're going to have Europe to contend with. That's probably going to come along at the same time as... The, the, the fixtures get a little bit tougher and they're probably going to have a nightmare October I think it is where the fixtures just turn for them but maybe not maybe like maybe this is the season where they start winning those games and or it's just Champions League qualification so if they win the Europa League and finish fifth great season obviously yeah that's obviously a, a high wire act though and um, the master of the Europa League in Unai Emery didn't manage to, to make that happen for them over the, the number of seasons that he was there um, and, I, and I know the semi-final when, when Villarreal won it two seasons ago was, was particularly painful as well so that could be another avenue into it I think they'll be looking at it through the, the lens of the Premier League because like I mean you, by, by the same token you can make a case that they are in the top four squads in, in the league and it's not 
it's not it wouldn't be as big an achievement as it would have been last season for them to finish top four because last season I think it would have been and it was a very young squad this year they it, it's still young but it's everybody's a year older and the, the players that they've added have got Premier League medals and we haven't even seen some of the new signings yet like in Fabio Vieira for example who's who's going to be a very exciting addition to that midfield um, th- things are things are looking very rosy all of a sudden but we know how Arsenal goes and we know that there will be moments where they will kind of uh, lull you back into believing that they're just a banter club again you're back though you're, you're I, I was back I was back last season definitely I just didn't believe but you're in love with this team now like how could he not be like how could he not be like with the like I mean it's it's, it's obviously with certain elements of the team with certain elements of the team um I'm talking about like some of the, the, the young attackers like in, in Saka and, and Smith Rowe and even the likes of, of Odegaard and, and Jesus who's come in and made, made such a good impact. I'm talking about those players. Um, so yeah, like I mean, it's it, it's hard not to be in love with some of, some of those attacking players because they're just so exciting and um, they're just phenomenal footballers. So like two teams with 100% records at the, the top of the table. There you go. I mean, that's uh, you are the lone title challenger at this stage. That's what we're saying. Uh, Colin Boog has also texted in to say, Edu is a dreamboat too, so that helps. It absolutely does. It, 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 like, it, All of a sudden, Edu's a genius. Like, whereas a couple of years ago, we were like, he needs to be gone. What's going on? They're wasting so much money. I, I think that the, the, like, it was almost like the predecessors to the Edu era, which kind of put him in a tricky enough position where like, and it's not, not even like directors of, of football. It was kind of like uh, scouts and heads of recruitment that they had, like when Sven Mislintat was in, and oh, it was yeah. like, oh, the connection with Dortmund, we can be the new Dortmund. Uh, that's what Arsenal fans were saying. I think that was very exciting. And when that project kind of ended prematurely, people were like, what are they doing? And it turned out actually that was probably the best way to go because maybe the Dortmund thing could only work for Borussia Dortmund and maybe not for Arsenal. But I think Edu's biggest thing that we've seen from the documentary is that he's just been hugely supportive of Mikel Arteta. Like he's asked, is it easy to support him over this Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang situation? And he says, no, it's not easy. Like you have uh, Venkatesham uh, coming in as well, the CEO, and saying that, listen, we need to find a way to reconcile Aubameyang with the club. Like people running the club were not of the same opinion as Mikel Arteta about how you handle this but they backed their manager and they've helped their manager and they've given the manager the uh, the information that he's needed when it comes to recruitment and like you can easily make that comparison between Arsenal and Manchester United at the moment about like where United are going and and, like the, the help that Ten Hag has or hasn't got and he's in my opinion, been left to left to hung out to dry a small bit when it comes to uh, some of the signings that he's made. We all think that, like, like look at like Arsenal were looking at Martinez during the summer, and for one reason or another, decided that they weren't going to sign him. They were actually going to sign him as a left back, I think, because right. of his height. Yeah, uh, and yeah. like, I mean, he could he could easily be uh, maybe maybe Ten Hag doesn't want to play three at the back, but he could be, you know. And uh, was it was it yesterday? Was it uh, Daniel said that he thinks he could play in midfield this week? So like you know the, yeah, the, like the jury's yeah. the jury's not in on uh, whether or not Martinez is going to be a good quality player in the Premier League, but like the, you know he's he's arrived in a bad situation and he hasn't uh, immediately stepped up. No, so. and, and like I think that the other thing there is like just with regards to dressing room culture. Apparently, Steve Round has had a, a really big impact in. Uh, on that front with Arsenal like he would have been an assistant to David Moyes at Manchester United and all of a sudden now he's having an impact at Arsenal and again in what role? uh, is it an assistant coach I think assistant first team coach uh, or first team coach and um, it's funny how all that stuff really matters Uh, Mark Dunning says the mood of the ground in the Emirates has totally changed over the last 18 months or so fans are genuinely excited at the moment I think that comes from 
the quality of young players first off that gives everybody and then the manager saying stuff and being consistent and actually getting rid of Aubameyang like it worked it was a very important yeah. moment where there's a, a wrestling going on between the money and the sunk cost and the fallacy of sunk cost well we've already spent all this money and we've invested so much time and, and emotional energy in him and he's our leader but like he's driving to the North London Derby in his Batman car late mm-hmm. revving the car stuck in traffic you're like come early or don't come at all yeah because you're the captain so I you know, I think like we weren't sure like we'd spoke a lot about that on the show last year and I was very unsure about that decision because he was awesome at his best for Arsenal and goals are notoriously hard to buy it turns and out Arsenal are missing them it turns out like you need a style of play that's going to deliver chances for people again and again and again and again and like that's that has to be the overarching thing and this is the difficulty so this is the difficulty with the green yellow and red last night from um, Manchester United's perspective like I think that for all of the brilliance of the analysis that you see from Gary Neville I didn't see the slot live so we've only talked about this afterwards with with Colin but um, so uh, Neville did the whole transfers since Ferguson uh, power rankings as as you will uh, performance rankings uh, and the vast majority of them are are in red as we know uh, we probably know this by now but two players made the green and it's Bruno and Zlatan right like I think that's their problem is that they're addicted to these moments and they're addicted to the celebrity moments as opposed to actually having a style of play that is going to overwhelm the opponents and that's what Man United need that's what Arsenal have built they, they got rid of you would have put Aubameyang in the green yeah right but actually he damaged the club forcing everything to go through damages in the short term and the long term because you can't build a plan you're, you're then reliant on that one individual to show up and if they don't show up if they have a bad night or if they're marked out of it or if the opposition decide well all they've got is this guy then the team isn't actually benefiting from having that guy in the team. I, I think the best comparison there is is the Ronaldo situation at United. Like the Ronaldo situation at United is like your banning situation on a Mario Kart mushroom. It's just everything about it is just bigger, more goals, or more seemingly more explosive potential, but also more problems. And the the millstone around the neck that he has proved to be for the club seems to be infecting everything on a bigger on a much bigger scale than what Aubameyang sus- was like at Arsenal. I actually suspect because he's he's a very traditional number nine that they might have been able to make him work. But it, I I don't know I don't know what position Bruno plays really. I don't I don't fully understand how and where on the pitch he's supposed to get the ball and where and how he's supposed to influence the game over a five or nine or twelve game stretch. And maybe there are football minds who can actually accommodate him in the team and the team can look the same week in, week out, but he can do something that nobody else can do and that's fine I, but at the same time I, I don't think he's been he hasn't been in the green for the last 18 months like he hasn't been contributing for the last 18 months I don't know I think yeah. um, the, the, the position thing is is definitely an issue and how like I mean he seemed to have broken the mould for a number 10 in the Premier League when he first arrived everybody was like the 10 is dead there is nobody who can play this position anymore because of the requirements of modern football and the pressing game and Bruno during COVID was, was doing it and he was kind of defying the, the expectations but maybe those predictions maybe were, were correct and there needs to be uh, a, a new role found for him because the, the, the 10 maybe just doesn't work as, as great as, as it used to 10 years ago but we, we have buried the lead here this weekend and I guess from 
the entire weekend and from last yesterday's show into this morning's show and that is of course Saturday morning you wake up nice and early get yourself a coffee hope for Lampard to finally put Aston Villa fans out of their misery no but it turns out you never hope for that Frank Lampard maybe isn't a great manager either uh, you know it was, it was two heavyweights slugging it out two kind of like heavyweights past their prime uh, in one of those uh, bouts that doesn't get televised I know I, like I, it's going to be very interesting to see what they become as managers like um, Everton is obviously a very difficult job and they, they they definitely have a witch in the building every game somebody goes off after 15 minutes and gets injured and then they have to sign somebody to fill that place and then another injury happens yeah like the witch in the building a lot of clubs have had witches in the buildings and the witch seems to come back year after year after year and then all of a sudden they manage to fix it like yeah, Manchester City don't have any witches in the building it turns out and they're, they're like that helps them be consistently excellent well that's uh, you know they obviously have the best medical staff yeah and um, frequently that's the thing that separates one team from another uh, but in terms of the, the non-witch stuff the stuff that Gerard can control like did you see more on Saturday that you thought you know what maybe well it's funny deserves- isn't it he, did, did he pick Tyrone Mings yes he did so Tyrone Mings obviously eyeballed him like stood over him and said what, what do you have to say to me to my face and got straight back in the team and like um, like uh, I was talking with Mick McCarthy about this yesterday he's he's a he loves Tyrone Mings now uh, Mick or Gerard Mick and but Stephen Doyle's like the English media never point out his his problems and Mick's like no no there are no problems I, I, I'm I'm doing it you know a disservice before Mick like that's not what I said um, but he's very defensive as you know in the way that like you can only be of the players that you love and so that's the Villa fans love Tyrone Mings and they feel like there's something spiritual about him like Paul McGrath loves him and you know that that actually that stuff matters in the Premier League because like the quality from those you can throw a blanket over them yes Tyrone Mings makes mistakes and uh, they don't really they, like <laughs> the the Gerrard management team certainly last season didn't believe in him and would tell him as soon as he got the ball to get rid of it and he'd be under instructions you'd hear them shouting at him mm. it's not, not I mean I'm sure they shouted at everybody but they weren't shouting like be creative, get your head up, see what you can do, you be your best self. It was like, don't screw it up. Um, so I think that uh, that was um, that was interesting to see that they reverted to him. They also put Ollie Watkins back in the team. Like, I don't know about Coutinho, really. I think Coutinho's going to be a man for moments. Got injured as well, didn't he? Well, they weren't sure if it was cramp or not. All right, okay. But Emmy Buendia came off the bench and was really good. And so maybe maybe Buendia finally starts to deliver week in, week out and the promise that he showed and Coutinho's like a rotation player who you don't have to rely on. What a what a sad decline for Philippe Coutinho, a rotation player at Aston Villa. Because like, I thought Aston Villa would be a little bit of a trampoline for his career. Go uh, link up with his former buddy, uh, drop down maybe a, a level below his talents just to play for Aston Villa for a while. And then and go back to go to yeah, Newcastle. Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, Gerard get has this Tyrone Mings thing. I guess he's got a little bit lucky with it because... If he didn't put Tyrone Mings back into the team against Everton, the Diego Carlos injury then makes it look like he's only putting him back into the team because Diego yeah. Carlos is out for the whole season. Yeah. And he'd be stuck, with, you know, and you're only putting him in because you don't want to play Ezri Kanza and Callum Chambers together at the heart of your defence. Whereas at least he's got out ahead of that. So he's got a little break on that front. He has, he has. And I guess you make your own look in some ways. And he did put him back in the team and uh, Mings responded. And Emmy Martinez is still pretty interesting as a goalkeeper. And there's, a, there's enough there. But like... Um, I don't know, I think, like, Danny Ings is on a whack of money. Luca Dean is their highest paid player. They they just haven't managed the 
thing that you want them to manage in a way that suggests they understand the cost of having Luca Dean be the price that Luca Dean is that you can't have two players on the, on a similar salary who can both make an impact like you that's mm. there's a, a limited number of resources and so therefore you shouldn't be spi- signing players from other Premier League teams you know um they they've done okay in the transfer market but a lot of players have been burned out who are on high wages and who aren't in squads and um so look I don't know there there obviously there have to be some more incomings now we'll see where they finish but like it's mid table that's kind of your ambition at this stage like mm-hmm. they they struggle to beat Everton 2-1 Everton are going to be in a relegation battle Villa will be on the fringes of that relegation battle in between 8th and 15th that's where we're that's what we're aiming for yeah yeah, it's um, I don't know. Mid table with that squad is probably about right, but you obviously had lost your notions. Well, with the investment, it might not be. If you were just a bit smarter with your investments, mm. like and I, I again, we were talking about this on, on um, Friday. I I blame them for letting Carney Chukomenka go. I think like if you're if you're setting your stall out as like one of the best young progressive managers in English football with an eye on the Liverpool job, and there's a Superstar Wunderkind at the, at the club. You think that you're going to be like, I'm going to turn you into the best footballer in the world. And that would help. You know, is, is Steven Gerrard more or less likely to get the Liverpool job now than he was before he took the Aston Villa job? I would say at the moment less likely. Because the reality of what life is like in the Premier League is uh, week in, week out grind. And he's under that microscope in a way that he wasn't at Rangers. Like, people didn't watch Rangers week in, week out the way they're watching Villa. He wasn't on TV. He wasn't. He wasn't making the error of like coming across like a bit of a macho whatever about Tyrone Mings. Like, why did he have to tell us about that thing with Tyrone Mings? Why didn't he just tell Tyrone Mings and put Tyrone Mings back in the team? Everyone like, oh, brilliant man management. Took the captaincy off him. Tyrone Mings responded with a brilliant performance. Now, maybe, maybe Tyrone Mings only responded because Stephen Gerrard went public. Maybe that's the only thing that Mings understands. That's certainly what Sunis was saying, I think, in his column at the weekend. So, um, anyway... Speaking of managers, uh, there are a few still GA jobs up for grabs that we had anticipated might be filled by now. Mm. There's, been, there's been a few, like the uh, Kilkenny Hurling job was open for, it seems like about eight minutes and they got the they got the job done. The Dublin Hurling job is still there, so they obviously have a, car- a candidate in mind, but the biggest, the Hollywood job, the Mayo footballers, what's the story? What, yeah, what? Uh, John Fogarty in his piece today has the stat that it's now 50 days since James Warren stepped down. So uh, the 50-day anniversary of, of James Warren stepping down, we can uh, finally dip back into the, to the Mayo job. Things have got more intriguing on the, the Mayo front, it seems. Like Oshie McConville has now joined one of the backroom has teams, he? allegedly. Yeah. Right. Uh, this is Ray Dempsey's uh, backroom team that is apparently going for the job. So uh, we've obviously brought you news over the, the last few weeks about who the other um, contenders are. So this is Colm Keyes this morning in, in the Irish Independent. Oshie McConville will be part of a strong backroom team. Uh, the rest of this uh, backroom team is interesting as well. Declan O'Keefe of Kerry is said to be on the ticket as well. He was working with Cullum Collins in Clare over the last few years. There's some suggestion that Keith Higgins could be on this team. Uh, some suggestion that James Burke could be on this team. And then other uh, names such as um, Kevin O'Neill, Terry Kennedy, Daniel Kilgallen and Martin Barrett potentially involved in various um, various parts of the backroom team as uh, this well. This is all Ray Dempsey's? yeah. So, um, yeah, so like I mean, I'm sure they're kind of like being brought in. Maybe I'm not sure is it a full time basis or is it temporary. But what's interesting is that Daniel Kilgallen's name has actually come up twice in the papers today. Once in the Mayo situation, he is from Mayo, but also it's come up in the situation in Munich at the moment with the Irish Athletics team. He's been involved with training 
uh, Israel Alatunde over the last few weeks and he's done a, a bit of a training camp with him so he's got him up to becoming uh, I guess on the verge of becoming Ireland's fastest ever man uh, over the, 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 the next couple of months so he's obviously his stock is pretty high right now and for him to be brought into a GEA setup would be very interesting indeed I mean he may not it may not be a situation where Dempsey gets this gig and it could be one of the other two tickets that seems to be in the, the driving seat for it is that do get it but down the line I wouldn't be surprised to see his name linked to Mayo again Israel Alatunde only 20 yeah. so turned 20 on the 29th of May this year so um, you know he'll be 20 all the way through to the end of next May as well um, and you know he's been running personal bests all season and he's got another one to go tonight in the semi-finals at uh, 7.15 um, this is really interesting like having a 20 year old sprinter who's running at this pace like I, I think Paul Hessian made his Irish record towards the end of his career that was the absolute peak of it but you'd expect a 20 year old sprinter to continue to get faster for the next five, six, seven, eight, nine years like he could you can sprint in your 34, 36 mm. this is um, this is incredibly exciting yeah and also Irish sprinting is in a it's in a very interesting place, in a place that we haven't seen for quite some time. And um, I think Alessandro probably, like, his performance yesterday was, was sensational, just to kind of win his heat in the way he did out again tonight in the semi-final at, uh, what is it, quarter past seven this evening. So, uh, like, I think we've got the opportunity to watch Rashida Adeleke at some point today as well on the 400 metres. So, like, Irish sprinters are doing unbelievable work at the moment. And I guess with Alessandro, his, his star maybe hasn't risen in as conspicuous a way as, say, Adeleke has over the last few years. So I think we're still trying to, still starting to get to know this guy on a, on a, on a level that maybe we've already got familiar with Adeleke as well. So this is kind of like his breakout games, it feels, and, and yesterday was his breakout performance. Yeah, UCD student from Dundalk, and he's in the semi-final against the Olympic champion Lamont Marcel Jacobs uh, this evening at 7.15. So make sure you tune in for that. Uh, he needs to run one of the two fastest overall times to um, get through to the final or finish in the top two either uh, and so that's the crack with that if you've got anything you want to get off your chest 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number or of course you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream as well now a reminder ahead of the Cabri FC Roadshow tomorrow evening we're deciding the top five most influential Irish players in both the men's and women's game a reminder of course that all the ticket proceeds for the show in Vicar Street will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events for T's and C's. You can get them on Ticketmaster. You can get them uh, on the OTV Sports website as well. And we will see you on the night. We're back after this with three-time Olympian Niall O'Toole talking about Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy's gold at the European Championships. First, though, the lads on the show last night debated O'Donovan's position as one of Ireland's greatest sports people. Yeah. A slight tangent is done for another session. It may be back, it may not. We'll see. <laughs> Next week's agenda... Paula Donovan, Ireland's greatest sportsman. Oh. Person. Oh, you, you're in <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> By accident. Ireland's greatest. One of Ireland's greatest. At least put him in the bloody conversations, for God's sake. He's got to be in the top 20, doesn't he? Oh, top, top 20. <laughs> <laughs> He's dominating. He's dominating top. a world sport in a way that no other Irish person except for Katie Taylor has ever done. Top five. That's bigger. Top five. I don't know. Who are you knocking out? I'd be interested to know who you're knocking out. Yeah, you go. Why does anyone have to be out? He's automatically in. Well, I'm asking you. Who do you know even out? Sure, I'm not doing it. We have. I'm just saying we're out of time. We're out of time. Oh, uh, yeah. Arthur O'Dee, thank you. I'd Cheers. have him ahead of nearly anyone. Mick McCarthy, thank you. You would, yeah. You can't leave it on that, Joe. <laughs> you can't. You'd have him number one. That's, he's a multiple time Olympic. He's, 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 a, he, he's dominating. Yeah. A, one of, one of the Keen. bigger sports. 
What do you mean what I have in my eyes? Pete's having a hernia out there. We gotta go. OTB AM. It's 11 minutes past eight. You're watching OTB AM. Perhaps you're listening to us on OTB Sports Radio. Wherever you're with us this morning, we're very glad to have you. If you'd like to get involved, 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. You can uh, send us a text on that if you want, or of course you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. We're live every morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say that we've got Niall O'Toole with us to talk to us about the rowing. Niall, how are you getting on? Hey, Jer. Yeah, fabulous. I'm uh, pumped after that weekend. What a weekend, huh? Incredible. You see my backdrop here? Rocking out the girls here in my backdrop. Very yeah, good. No, awesome weekend. Very good. Um, you're, obviously, uh, you're obviously doing a bit of rowing yourself. You're looking well. Yeah, just you know, you can't flatten a torbread there, Jerry, you know. There you go. Have you seen a fat greyhound? There you go, yeah, yeah, just it's natural. <laughs> have you been inspired to get back? I know, I have been doing a bit. I do a bit. I keep going, I keep going, you know, that kind of way. I'm inspired by John, you know. John Duggan, he's been smashing me, you know, that kind of way. He's definitely in the fitness boat, so that's I'm, I'm joining John in that, in that uh, sphere. Uh, one thing that I'm always interested in is, is there a direct correlation between kids getting in the boat and watching stuff at the weekend or even like middle-aged people getting in a boat and seeing, um, I actually, yeah, I love rowing. Like, are we as a country waking, wakening up to our potential as a, a hotbed of rowing globally? Yeah, there's definitely more activity on the water, definitely more people joining it yeah, at schools level and also even... even uh, kind of veterans coming back to the sport and people joining the sport for the first time as well no matter what age it's a, it's a, it's a sport for all and uh, no impact um, it's, it's the skill you can pick up relatively it takes a little bit of time but you can get the feeling of that boat moving relatively quickly so yeah it's a sport for all definitely um, we have well we have capacity issues within the clubs uh, and some infrastructural problems really in the clubs to, to deal with the amount of people that are coming into the sport. But yes, it's 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 one for the future. And we've always, I said this year before, Joe, it's sports, the rowing is a perfect sport for us uh, in, in lots of ways. It's amateur. Um, it's, 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 it's based on volunteerism, which Ireland is extremely, extremely good at. So yeah, and it's a really tough sport, which we're pretty hard well, as I, a nation. So yeah. I, I remember um, talking to somebody about this before like our genetic predisposition is we're not massively long like the the Nordics or yeah. the, the Central Europeans we're kind of just about, about the right size to uh, sit yeah. in a boat and, and roar row pull like a dog essentially uh, absolutely absolutely and we're kind of we are we are we are tough you know like, I've raced throughout Europe I've been in lots of different training camps throughout Europe and when I went into the Italian system or the Norwegian system I realised that listen I'm as tough as any of these guys, and I'm, I was the same as everybody else at home. So, yeah, we are we are we are tough, tough fighters, tough racers, tough trainers. So it's really, really ideal for us as we'll, a nation. Um, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about the men in a minute, but it's it's the women that we should start with who who are behind you there. So, um, yeah, see the girls, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about jumping up. Yeah, get. We t- so the, the, the silver this weekend, but it wasn't just the silver; it was a bunch of forts as well. So, like, there's a crop coming through at the same time again, pushing each other and on the verge of equaling the success of the men. Most definitely. I mean, there's definitely been a, a, a massive upturn in girls' songs and women's songs. Sorry, since the uh, since the medal of Tokyo, it's always that breakthrough medal, Jared, that, that and similar to the guys, uh, similar to, to Paul's medal um, back in. Back in Rio, uh, there's always been that breakthrough medal that, that one kind of uh, stake in the ground, and there's been a massive influx of, of girls who were good club rowers who were, or had made a national team before who have really, really kicked on. And I think 
just the, the head coach doesn't put up out bad crews. He was willing to put out an, an ace at this European Championships. Now we it didn't race because unfortunately Sunita got ill, um, but it just shows the level of depth that Ireland would have. It, like we've never put out an ace in women's rowing before, uh, so it just shows the level of depth pushing. Pu- these these girls are pushing, pushing each other hard, and there's a whole range of under-23s uh, coming through. So we at the under-23s, we got, I think it was four medals at the under-23s. Uh, I think it's a couple of silvers, a couple of bronzes. So there's a huge flow of, of, of new talent coming through that pipeline. Uh, so it's looking very, very, very healthy. The girls, yeah, did an incredible job the weekend. So, uh, and again, you're right, Jerry, we got, we got two, three-fourths or three-fourths by really, really small margins. It was incredibly unlucky. I think we were seventh or eighth on the on the medal table. One of those medals converted, um, and we would have been, you know, third or fourth in the medal table at the European. So it's a really, really healthy situation. Uh, and just talk, being around the girls this weekend, there's a really, really good, strong energy. There's a real toughness about that uh, group. There's a real solidarity about that group. Given that, that said... They're all going into training camp now. They're all hopping on a bus uh, on, on the training camp this week, preparation for the World Championships in six weeks' times in uh, Rudnici in, in Prague. And they will be knocking lumps out of each other in the next couple of weeks. So that boat is not settled. The four, the pair, the, on, the double, those boats are not settled. And they will be settled in the next three week, uh, two or three weeks before, before the World Championships. So even there's a really good camaraderie in the team but they're also knocking lumps out of each other and they will continue, continue to do that. So when you're racing that they limp, uh, for, for a European medal, not only racing for a European medal, you're, ma- you're racing to stake your claim on your seat in that boat. Um, and that competitiveness, Antonio likes to keep them kind of on edge and uh, that will continue right away for the next two weeks. So they're, you think they're, they're kind of having an easy kind of build into the World Championships. They go back into camp and it's going to be a difficult two weeks while they sort out which is really the final solid cruise for, for the World Championships in, in, in six weeks. Because that, that was definitely the noticeable thing about seeing the, the names in the boats this time that half of the team had their Olympic medals from last year and half didn't. So there's obviously been a yeah. bit of chopping and changing. Can you talk us through a little bit about how uh, those decisions are actually made behind the scenes and, and what those weeks where things get, get particularly intense actually look like? Well, what they'll do is they'll break them, probably break them into double, into pairs again. So they'll break them, the, the, the four into, in, into, bear, in, into pairs. So, so those six athletes will be in pairs and they will do some pairs matrix. So they'll find out the quickest pair and then they'll put them into the four. So they'll take the top two, for instance, the top two pairs in those pairs matrix and then they'll put them into the four. They'll race them against the control boat. Um, like a double, or if 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 they feel this, the, the the conditions are still enough that they can get a good good baseline and on on the races, so, so you know sometimes you have to have a control blow just in case the wind uh, picks up or dro- drops, and um, they'll race th- that four against the control boat and find out which is the best four. They'll chop and change the cal- calibration, but uh, chop and change those uh, those seats, uh, but they'll do it based on the pair who's moving the pair the quickest. And then they'll pop them in and and do another round of combinations in in the four, and yeah. So there's a there's a, a huge kind of matrix around getting the best crew. There's also a little bit of feel, and the coach will have to use that little bit of feel, like who's performed the best in 
in training, he was the most consistent performer. He was a bit maybe a little creak, creaking a little bit in terms of injury and things like that. But that this boat is not settled. These will these girls will be knocking lumps out of each other for the next two years to make sure that they're in the boat that's going to get the Olympic medal in in in, in twenty twenty four. The whole hope is here, guys, that the pair that we have a four and a pair in the Olympics that um, that gets that gets two medals. That's that's that that's. That's the goal, but it looks like it is now at the moment. The four is the main boat, with the pair kind of being the secondary boat. Um, but hopefully, when we all get settled, that pair or the, the pair who is picked will improve and have time to do so. So hopefully, that answers. Is there ever like just a straight race, like uh, where three of the the seats on the boat are settled, and then they have like one race yeah. to see who goes fastest, or is it? it they can. You, you may have, a, you know, a particularly kind of uh, one seat. You may have two people that are so, so, so close, almost inseparable uh, in terms of all the written matrix. So you will, you will, you'll step in. So they'll switch out that person, and they they'll uh, they'll do some pairs matrix either against the four or just on a timed piece. You have to remember, guys. If the wind picks up and dies that can affect the results. So sometimes they have a, a, a control boat um, to make sure that uh, it, it, it is fair. But again, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's, there's only four seats. Somebody's going to miss out. And the person on the bank is winning. A, it's always winning a hair's breadth of, of the people on the water. That's, that's the nature of the beast. And somebody is going to miss out, but that's the nature of beach. You can't we can't race with with five in the boat, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I guess that level of competition drives them on. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the men's. Okay, so I think uh, we you, you probably heard the conversation there about. Um, our yeah, what's the story like? Like, have, have we not made a decision that Paul O'Donovan is the greatest Irish sportsman of all time? Is that not done? Why are we having this conversation, Jack? Go for it, there. Make make the case. <laughs> An Olympic silver, he's, what is he, 20, 27, 28? An Olympic silver, an Olympic gold, four world championships, three European titles, and just a rake of other things. So, you know, to add to that, World Cups, most World Cups, like, just, just, just I just don't know why we're... Okay, if Paul wins, what, how many world championships, how many Olympic golds does Paul O'Donnell need to, to, to win to be the greatest, greatest sports person of all, of all time in Ireland? Is there a number? Can we pick a number? Because he's going to do it. So, um, yeah, he is the greatest. In my, in my opinion, what he what he does is it just surpasses any, any, any anything else. Now, I might be biased. Okay, I'll give you that. I might be a little bit biased, um, but it is a world sport. It is a sport that is Ireland is, and 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 don't forget what he's done within the sport, with how he's kind of led that team as well. So his, his influences not just within what he's doing, it's also within the broader sport itself. He's given us all, um, he's given us all, and all a very, very high bar. And you can teach it to girls, everybody's reaching it. So yeah, can we, the question is to you, Jer, what is the number? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think that, um, I think that it, it becomes increasingly uh, clear in people's minds that he's not alone in the conversation but like right there with anything that any of us uh, any of our great sports people have achieved I do think that like um, I hate these conversations in the aftermath of something like this because it feels They're like you're, it feels yeah, like you're nitpicking but like you know Roy Keane was the right. best player at Man United when during their best period when and that's 
obviously football is a, a yeah. global sport with huge participation but he's he's at the same level as Roy Keane right I think that's like we can all agree they'd be they'd be great company they'd be um, they'd be good crack and uh, I think they would they would kill each other they would kill each other I'd, I'd like to be a fly in the wall or in that padded room either way <laughs> if you got those two guys together it would be good to see <laughs> Yeah, the, like the, the killing each other thing is interesting. Like, I mean, for, to, to become one of the greatest sports people your country has ever produced, there obviously has to be that killer, that uh, ruthlessness that has to be part of your character. How, how does that manifest itself for Paul O'Donovan? Because obviously what we uh, see in front of the microphone is uh, uh, like the, the, the very happy-go-lucky version of Paul O'Donovan. Yeah, so um, like, like, like I was, we were just having points after the race on, on, on Saturday. I was having points. Paul wasn't, and uh, and I, I like is he going to the world championships or not? You know that kind of way. The perception is that Paul doesn't care. Paul cares. He deeply cares. He, the perception is is that you know he doesn't care about his legacy. He doesn't care about the numbers. He doesn't care about. Paul deeply cares. When you're an elite athlete and and, and performing at the level of it, you have to create a persona. He's created a persona, and um, and that persona is yeah, flippant. I don't care, and that. Relieves a lot of the pressure, uh, I think, um, within that kind of that extreme kind of pressure size pressurized system situation that he puts himself under. So, yeah, it's 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 a persona, but he deeply deeply cares, uh, and it's all from, from my point of view. It's all just it's it's all just smoke and mirrors. He's a highly intelligent person, knows exactly what he's going to say all the time it's not it's, it's it's all a bit of a kind of if you like I hate to use the word front because that's not what it is you understand it's, it, it's how he copes really with that pressure and it gives it it relieves that pressure on him and yeah I think uh, so yeah he has created this persona um, and, and it helps him it helps him and like with all elite athletes they have to put on that cloak every day and it helps them through their day and helps them through competition and that's that's it but yeah his cloak is self-deprecation where he's talking about you know he, yeah. he's got to study because he's not smart enough we all know that's not yeah, true like just, he, you know, uh, yeah, I know. Um, but he's he, no. you know he's definitely like the best that you could hope for from somebody representing your country uh, humble and high achieving incredibly hard hard working and then also it turns out a great teammate because I, I think we were all concerned, like at various stages, that when um, the way the, the rowing weights all changed and the Olympics telescoped a little bit, that we were not going to be able to find someone at a similar level. And then obviously Finton McCarthy replaced his brother, and Finton seems to be driving him as well. Like I, I don't, we, I, we can't tell, right? Looking at the boat, what the crack is with the two of them. When you were watching the two of them, what do you see in terms of the quality of both of them and the difference between them and how the gap might be closing even? Or is the gap closing? Yeah, there's no question about it. I think Fintan has made Paul his target in terms of that's, it, that's the level that he wants to attain, Fintan. So Fintan, so the big improvement of the boat this year, and it's it's clear that it has been has, has come primarily through Fintan. So Fintan has clearly kicked on. He beat Paul in the... In, in the Irish Champions. Now, Paul has had a very disruptive year, admittedly. So, but Paul is, Paul is not at his best. And Vinton is really the person who has brought the boat to the next level. And it is at a, at a new level now. 
without with 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 significantly less time and preparation in this European Championship than they've ever done before. So all of Fintan's numbers are through the roof in the last year. Um, I mean those the, those guys. Fintan is a lot is a is a lot smoother, and he backs up Paul in terms of the rhythm. Um, and and Paul is that is that just is that gutsy 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 racer. Um, and gives you the confidence. I mean, to row behind Paul must be like trying to stay on it. Like, it must be terrifying, you know, that kind of way, because he'll just go and go and go and go. And and Finton can go with him. And uh, and he's very good. And there's no real big calls in the boat. He just knows. They know when they're moving. They know when they're moving, uh, when they're pressing and pressing the other crews. So, yeah, the, the, the story this year, I mean, we talk about Paul a lot, but the story this year really... Is, is Finton and his improvement. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the two of them, the two of them, I mean, it helped the fact that it was a long race the weekend. So it was seven and a half, or sorry, six and a half, over six and a half minutes, where it's normally about six, ten, six hundred, six, ten, uh, six minutes, ten, or six minutes, ten seconds. And that last 20 seconds helped them press on because, because they tend, they're such an, they're such big engines. I mean, in that last 500, every, all the other crews were breathing through their ears and their fingernails, and these guys had oxygen tanks on, you know, that kind of way, just to kept piling, piling on the pressure. And the last 50, that massive gap open that you saw, clear water. Um, so, yeah, but the story this year, is, is, I, I, in, my, in my mind, is, is Finton, and that's fantastic that they're now kind of competing at that same level, that they have that same parity of esteem, which I, I would... I would, I would has it to say wasn't there in the past. What's the depth like in men's rowing? In the sorry, in in the heavyweight men's. Yeah, like the, just considering there's so much competition in the. Oh, the, sorry, you're bigger fan. Yeah, is, is there a yeah, similar level yeah. of competition behind them? So clearly, there's there's there's, a, there's there's really only two people for that boat. There's really, the, the, I mean, uh, unfortunately, Gary seems to be out of the picture. Uh, Gary uh, Gary don't seem to be out, which 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 is which is heartbreaking, but. Um, that's that boat, and and really, there's the difficulty when you have two really, really dominant people. There's nobody coming. There's nobody even going to touch them. So they that uh, they've kind of almost killed people coming through to that lightweight boat in the heavyweight section. Um, they seem to be having some problems this year in terms of um, they went from a silver medal, which is in ninety sorry in 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 in, 19, in, in 2019 they came they came on a silver medal in the double uh, Ronan and Philip and didn't perform in the Olympic Games. That was our first simple silver medal in heavyweight rowing since Sean Dre in 1970, 1975-76. So they seem to have not really stepped up. Uh, I know there's been COVID and various problems happening in that group, in the heavyweight group. Um, But it's a concern that they haven't gone to the World Championship to Europeans this year. I know they're all going into in, in training camp now at the moment. There's a bunch of under-23 heavyweight men's rowers that are going to training camp. They are going to try to put together a four, a pair, or a double or something to go to the World Championships. We definitely need a heavyweight men's boat at the World Championships. Uh, and there's a lot of, there's actually a lot of people coming through on the heavyweight side, less on the lightweight side. And uh, we'll wait and see what they can put together for the World Championships. Um, but they really haven't backed up the result in 2019. Again, our first medals in 76 in heavyweight rowing. The hope is that they can 
they can find. I was talking to, to, to Ron Burnham before, and he's very, very disappointed that there was no crew going, but they need they need something to go for, or else that is going to fizzle, and they need to go to a world championships. That group needs some exposure at, at world at world level again, uh, because if, if you don't, if, it, it, it will fade away, and people say, oh, well, what's if, the point? You if, know, the money's going elsewhere, the time and effort is going elsewhere within the groups. If Paul doesn't go to the world championships, who do you think would fill his spot? This point, I was talking to him. I said, "Like Paul, what's the story? Like, are you gonna go?" And I think he's gonna go. I think he's gonna go. I think that the the thing that he now he's probably despite me say, "Tuller, I'm not going," just because you said it on radio. Uh, but um, I think he's gonna go. I mean, there's a, you know, I I did this thing that he doesn't. You know, he probably doesn't know where his medals are. He probably doesn't know a lot of that. But but, but the thing that he doesn't care about winning his fifth world championship medal. I don't think, and 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 to be honest, with you, the, the gap between him and the other crews, they they could do it relatively easily. Um, now, if there is a time to take some time off, this is the time to take it off. There's no question about it. Uh, but I think he, I, I, I think he will go. If I'm honest, but it is Paul, so you so, so you never know. My my Fenton will roll the single, and they'll put out a a. There is a a good under twenty three. Uh, uh, lightweight double okay. that they will that they will race. So Fintan will race the single, and they'll kind of they'll keep um, they'll, they'll definitely road road it up. They won't put Fintan in with somebody else. Okay, that won't happen. Uh, but they'll race Fintan in the single, and 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 it'd be great to see Fintan in the single. Maybe maybe get a world championship medal, which would really show that he's at that level. That 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 that, that improvement curve is real. Yeah, so which really show that it's really in the single. You know, either way, there's loads of options. So now, if anybody wants to get in the boat fast, where should they go? Ah, oh, just Google rowing clubs in Dublin. Go onto the rowing rowing Ireland site. Go into the rowing Ireland site and look for your local club. Um, and uh, pop along and the more. They'd be more than welcome to have you. All ages, all groups. Or you could join my indoor rowing class, which is Crew Class. Follow me on Instagram, Crew Class Dublin. And uh, you can learn to uh, get fitter faster. There you the go. rowing way. There you go. Good stuff, Niall. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks, man. Always great to hear uh, from Niall O'Toole. Of course, Ireland's first world champion in rowing uh, back in the day. It is a fairly special time for the sport, Um it was David Epstein who was over one time talking about his book, The Sports Gene, and he was talking about the predisposition of different um, uh, cultures to different sports events and why certain... I was like, well, what, what could we be good at? He was like, rowing, that, that should be your thing. And that's right, right. like yeah. probably a decade ago at this point. And we were already very good. Like, we had world champions in, in um, Nile 2, but, um, yeah, just he was like, body composition, the propensity. It's like the number seven. We have a lot of very identical number sevens in rugby we've always been great mm. uh, who all look fairly similar in terms of body shape and size yeah um, they would all have been very good rowers yeah that, that's true also I guess you know Josh van der Fleer great engine yeah he would have been a good rower there's also like the I mean body composition natural uh, scenery of Ireland the amount of rivers and also Cork people Notoriously stubborn I mean, and uh, something in that, isn't there? Yeah. Like, it's by the, the way, end, it's the end of the earth. I didn't want to say this to Niall because he would have hung up immediately. Uh, our producer Colm, who did the Cork Mount Rushmore at the start of COVID, says that Paul Donovan doesn't even make his Cork Mount Rushmore. So we were having conversations about Ireland's best sports person here. Colm says he's not even in Cork's top four Irish sports people ever. 
It's 8.35 this morning, OTBAM, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Um, right, uh, we are going back to Vicar Street tomorrow. Michael Owen, Ian Wright, Emma Byrne and Karen Carney are going to be our guests. It's all in association with Cadbury FC. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. OTBSports.com forward slash events. We will see you on the night. Up next, we're looking through today's sports pages. Before that, here's football journalist Miguel Delaney on last night's show talking about the madness at Manchester United. And the Rashford situation, like that continues as well. I mean, that, that goes back two years. Because yeah. remember, I, I wrote two years ago, Tuchel had a, had a phone call with Rashford explaining to him exactly how he'd, how he'd use him. And I think that's actually quite relevant to Rashford's current form in the sense that um, Rashford feels like a player who basically at a key development age of his career, because he broke through so young and then was kind of just continued being used in various roles, he was never honed in an actual position. He began, and oh, I mean, look at the managers he was with. M- Mourinho, who, as great as he once was, was never really famous, or ever. Attackers used to criticise his his coaching of forwards, mm. especially in the modern game. What people like Guardiola and Klopp do, and then Solskjaer, who basically just was, I mean, to to a certain degree, coaching on kind of emo- emotion, uh, like he, he. So basically, at at, formative, at the key formative age of Rashford's career, he didn't get any elite coaching. And so, hence, he's in his mid-twenties now. And there's, there are these big questions over what, what he actually is as a player. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What should be a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, Emma, come on, don't, don't be... No, I'm not yes. No. Can't say that. Turns out you can't. Uh, Nunez... Loses head and Reds lose two points. Record signing to miss United clash after a moment of madness as Diaz earns draw. It's all coming up Man United this morning. Is it? When was the last time Liverpool and Manchester United played each other and both of them were in the bottom half of the table? I don't know. Probably been a while. Um, Luis Diaz starting to score goals would be a big, big moment. Yeah. Everybody's raving about him last year. Oh, as soon as he starts adding the goals, it's going to be great because he'd scored loads for uh, Benfica. Yeah. Like I, th- I do think that's. Um, I don't know. I think he showed a pretty good goal. Like he definitely was getting into good positions last season. The question is, I guess, what can the likes of um, Jot and Firmino offer when the season develops as well? That, Bordeaux, obviously. Uh, sorry, the I'm, I'm mistaking my um, paper. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I, th- I think it's obviously going to be a big factor, but I, I wouldn't be concerned uh, about Lewis Diaz at all. Not that anybody was. I think he, he looked excellent last season. As I say, he should have scored in the first. He should have, be, he should have back-to-back games where he scored and now it was just a bit of bad luck against Fulham. All right. Okay. Uh, you, sorry, John Duggan's on his way in. Let's, let's play him in with his moment of glory. Have a look at this. John. Will Zadatoris wins this week? So it is the uh, FedEx uh, St. Jude Invitational on the PGA Tour World Golf Championship event in Memphis. It starts tomorrow at about 1.15 hours time. Goes out of Taurus is 25 to 1 for 12 each way over two money, fifth of the odds for eight places. It's quite remarkable. In 33% of his major starts, he's finished runner-up. Never won on the PGA Tour. But Will Zalatoris, I think, will love this course this week at Southwind. It's a fairways and greens course all the way. He was tied eighth on his first start in it last year. All of his rounds were in the 60s. Um, to me, he just improves when he gets to bigger stages. And I think if he's going to make the breakthrough, this is the course he's going to make the breakthrough on. It's a tricky course. It's a par 70. It's got challenging rough dog legs, water, Bermuda greens. 
uh, it's going to be a test of approach play and, and tee to green play. And he's the top player on the tour in approach play. We know that those short puts can be a little bit of a, a nightmare for him, but he's got a tough streak. He sacked his caddy last Friday at halfway in the Wyndham Championship. Uh, so he's not afraid to make big decisions. I think he's mentally tough, and I think this is the week Will's added horse is going to break through with 25 to 1 uh, in, the, in the FedEx St. Jude. So that's my headline tip this week. That's not bad. That is not bad, John. What kind of a weekend did you have? Uh, good weekend. I didn't have any money on him personally, but right. 11.4% profit. You're going to have your quiet spells. You're going to have your um, dips throughout the year. But we've had 25 to 1 winner, 25 to 1 winner, 66 to 1 winner, 80 to 1 winner this year on virtual insanity. All I can say, look, it's high risk, it's high reward. You probably shouldn't be doing it. But it's better than Bank of Ireland. It's better than AIB. Ulster Bank's closing down, you know. So not too bad at the moment. Uh, right. Do you feel pressure after a win like that or is it just joy? Is it like... Uh, you feel relief because you feel that, you know, you're putting a lot of work into it, a huge amount of research and you're hoping that it was an insane playoff as well. Uh, absolutely insane. They both hit in the water in the third hole of the playoff. Sepp Straka and Wills Adatoris. But um, you, you're, just, you're just trusting the process, as it were. The process is a lot around course form. It's a lot around recent form and it's a lot around the fact that does the player have the Leroy G? And Will Zalatoris has it. He has that Leroy G. And I don't know if you saw that kind of meme that's going out there. It's uh, what are they going to say now? It's, it was he was shouting at the crowd. So um, he's, he's got you got something, Will Zalatoris. He's got a toughness to him. And um, yeah, you just got to stick to the process. Right, great. Well done. Thank you. Congrats, John. Thanks, John. Were you on this one? No. You, know, you kind of gave up around February, March. I started you? reinvesting in crypto. <laughs> <laughs> just at the right time. Yeah. Buy the dip. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah, what, what are the she and NFTs? Is it kind of a carry thing or it's carry just, jersey? It, or? It's just David Clifford's face. <laughs> That's all it is, that NFT. Well, that'd be a branding problem because obviously he owns those, right? He does, yes. That's, it's, a, it's a true point. No, I need to get back on it, John. I, uh, I did say at the start of the year I would, uh, I would die for virtual insanity. And die for Ryan Bram as well. Die, die for Ryan. I was trying to think. Who, I think he's probably missed every single cut since he won that week. So. That's it. But look, we cashed him uh, on, look, on look, RB. No, I appreciate the, appreciate the, the nice words. Um, a few quick comments unapologetically blue and the blue is all in capital says Liverpool just admit selling Mane was the biggest mistake you made and your midfield is rubbish and Shifty Lad says Paulo Donovan is very funny as well saying he purposely airlocked the Italian just to let him know they're in a fight <laughs> gas crack I mean the, you couldn't ask for a better ambassador for your sport than Paulo Donovan um, you know he's just winning friends and influencing people and bringing people with him so uh, John what else is going on? Well, Liverpool last night, I think it's probably, it's, it's just really, really strange that we're not talking about Intercounty GA at this time of the year. Like there's uh, athletics going on in Munich and there's um, swimming as well in Rome. But like really it is just football. It's football and not going to be wall to wall. It's just a strange time of year where there's no real like rugby action and there's no GA action of, of consequence. You know, I know there's club action going on, but like Liverpool last night, it's a one-all draw. It's um, a really good breakaway goal by Wolf Saha. It's the, the madness of Darwin Nunez. Um, like that was a it wasn't a, a a timid headbutt it was a proper headbutt uh, that he deserved to go it was for. the second one as well it was like I'm going to try and get you with the head just see what yeah, happens just, and didn't get him so. yeah and then a, a beautiful equaliser from uh, Luis Diaz so um, I just I, I would worry for Liverpool a little bit that they might be dipping a little bit I just think they're a team that has been on the road quite a long time and I think the you can even see with City already there's a freshness to City with Haaland and uh, like Haaland is just going to melt defenders' heads. You can just tell. He's just going to melt everybody's heads. And that's going to create the opportunity for City then to 
uh, use their other attacking players in the team. So from what I've seen from the first couple of weeks, I think City have started well, I think Arsenal have started very well, and Chelsea have started well. Like Spurs were completely outplayed and absolutely blessed to get away with, with that on Sunday. You know, I'm worried the league title race is, is over. Owen right. says not to worry that there's actually going to be a period where they have their soon. dip. It's too soon. I think two games... Uh, it's just just too it's small a sample size. Like I, I I get the Manchester City point totally. I just have a little bit more confidence maybe in in Liverpool than that. Must be happy with Arsenal started very well. You were chatting about this earlier, yeah. Very good start to the season. Yeah. Picked up where parts of last season left off. Obviously, the last week crumble was uh, is it gives you still gives you alarm bells. So we'll see how they react to. When do Arsenal get their dip? When is the when the fixtures get tough? Yeah, Tottenham yeah. start of October, isn't it? First yeah, fixture. Yeah, yeah. think October to be a, a grisly month. I presume Europa League will be up and running. Good word. At that stage grisly. as well. So um, that that's when Arsenal are going to Arsenal. But for now, they're Manchester City. <laughs> um, Gary Neville. Was it just Gary Neville? or Did everybody do their green, amber, and red of the major signings at Manchester United? They did it kind of together. Both of them, Gary yeah. and Jamie. So we don't know who. It's, the, a, it's a good exercise, isn't it? Really, when you think about it. Do you agree that Zlatan and Bruno Fernandes were both good signings? Uh, I think Bruno Fernandes was a great signing, uh, but I think Ronaldo's uh, arrival at Manchester United has destabilised um, Fernandes. Yeah, I mean, look, this is uh, column is like, yes, 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 I, I agree outside as a Man United fan, but I, like, uh, how great a signing can it be? His goal rate was like be... one and two, and then now it's like less than one and three. So, like, how how great a signing is it if you're overawed by a teammate? If your if your game goes to pieces because uh, a good teammate arrives, like, or is it just that the penalties were propping up his stats? I don't know. I just i i can't I can't get with the Bruno Fernandez is a good signing when his form has been abysmal through the moment of crisis. I would say, yeah, I'd say Amber. I would say Amber as well. I'd say he's an Amber signing. Like, to be fair, Neville did say that. Neville did kind of qualify it by saying you could make a case that he could be an Amber. You stick him an Amber now, and then it's like one and Latan, and that's it, and like. But just like Ronaldo has, to me, completely destabilised Manchester United. Uh, every time I look at the Roy Keane era of Man U, there's Ronaldo's in the, in the video. That's how long ago Ronaldo was at the club and is obviously when he was the player that he was. But um, now, no, no. Like it was, it, was, it was an embarrassing defeat at Brentford. Like it was just an absolute shambles. Harry Maguire and Amber? No, he's a red. <laughs> he's a red. Totally Harry red. Maguire is red, is red, is red. I know David Myler would disagree with us. Um, and, you know, yeah. and, he, and he made his points at Saturday's show, but the 24 players in that red column for Man United under... under Fellaini, Mata, Rojo, Di Maria, Daly Blind, Memphis Depay, Schweinsteiger, Matteo Darmian, Schneidlin, Martial, Bailey, Bailly, Mkhitaryan, Pogba, Lindelof, Lukaku, Alexis Sanchez, Diogo Dallo, Daniel James, Arwan Vesaka, Donny van de Beek, Alex Tellez, Ahmad, Jaden Sancho... Raphael Varane. By the time you t- stop talking, probably be half ten. It's, like, it's that bad. <laughs> what a what a squad that if you just put there, like oh, this is a squad. Like oh, that's an interesting squad, isn't it? Like, do I get everybody at their peak? Yeah, you get everybody at their peak, apart from Schweinsteiger, obviously. Um, like, what? they managed to. I mean, is Lukaku really in red when they got all the money back from? Oh, you know, I think. Um, yeah. So um, the, the Pogba. Pogba signing is like here take all our money we have too much of it it's burning a hole in our pocket it's 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 interesting to watch what's going on at Man United like it doesn't seem like we're anywhere close to a fixed on no um, like Ten Hag uh, was reading about you know the struggles he had at Ajax at the start uh, and he, he weathered that storm but um, I've always said that 
you know, it's it's not just a football management job. It's it's an entertainment global brand thing. Yeah, so you're ten, the CEO so, of Disney. Yes, yeah, so, so Ten Hag has got to have that gravitas. And at, when I look at Ten Hag, I'm just seeing coach, 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 coach. Is all I'm seeing with Ten Hag, you know. And he's made some tactically strange decisions in his first two games, like playing Ericsson as a false nine in the first game, and then as a defensive midfielder last week. Uh, and, and and every time you hear him talk, like it's all the players that he has previous associations with. Somebody put it, put it out there on Twitter there yesterday, and that wasn't like you can't just take Ajax and put it into Manchester. It doesn't work that way, and uh, it's a club that has to be sold. Um, and until it's sold, I think it, it'll be um, just a soap opera every week. And the, the the Glazers just have to get out. They have to, you know, they have to go. You know? The one point about um, the Neville Redknapp TV debate. Uh, Neville made the point that what what Spurs did in the background while they were refusing to spend money on the team was put together a world-class training ground and a world-class stadium and build the facilities and the architecture and the apparatus so that then when the time came, they were investing on the framework of a business that was ready to go. Now, it might not have seemed that way at the time. Retrospectively, they might say that was always the plan. Who knows? Who knows, right? I'm sure they wanted it to work when Jose was there and I'm sure they wanted it to work uh, simultaneously to everything going on. However, it has started to work now. You're going to the game at the weekend. Oh, uh, Colm's going to the game. Colm's going. To Sorry, the game. yeah, ah, very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, you know, he'll have a great experience. Our producer Colm, but who gets um, so as Owen will tell you, attest it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, I think I think Joe Lewis, who's the ultimate owner of Spurs, decided okay, yeah, okay, we we got to release the the valve here. So for Spurs, everything is hard-earned. So to get Daniel Levy to sign the cheque is hard-earned. You have to make the case. You have to, they have to decide, OK, we're going to give you $150 million. Whereas you, with United, with Everton, with those clubs, the money has just been, just been profligacy, if that's the word. Like it's, just been just, it's, it's, been spelled, it's been spent without any thinking. And that's the legacy of Man United now, is that the money's been spent without any thinking. And now you have this uh, dysfunctional situation. So where Spurs, with the money's been spent with thinking, now they'll obviously need to improve what they did on Sunday because they were clearly second best to Chelsea. But you can even see with Chelsea and Todd Bailey's obviously he's, he's, he's almost like he's just supplanted himself in there and you know he's the man, he's the guy being, being pictured in, uh, in the cameras. But there's, there's a degree of thinking about what Chelsea are trying to do and then you need to get a striker. But there's the absence of thinking at Manchester United over the last uh, decade has been... Like, there's a business case study and how not to run something. Oh, those books are going to be great. Yeah, so like, you know, uh, and Jonathan Orcroft has done some great articles about all that kind of thing. Building like, this years. You, you'd, lo- you'd love to know, you'd love to see the all or nothing for Man United right now. It would be absolutely compelling watch because yeah. you'd wonder what was going on in that dressing room after that Brentford game. Well, there was a row, there was a row last week apparently, um, but I, I don't know how serious it was or if it was that important because it didn't seem to be between first team players. But certainly, all that all that stuff is coming out relentlessly again. Yeah, it's uh, the, one of the leakiest dressing rooms in world sport. <laughs> yeah. John, good all stuff. right, lads, thanks a million. More from John Duggan, of course, on Saturday afternoon on Off the Ball on News Talk from one o'clock to five. You can get it on OTB Sports Radio. You can get it on the GoLoud app as well. It's 8.50. If you want to get in touch with us, we'd love to hear from you. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. I'm delighted to say we're joined on the line now by Liverpool broadcaster Gareth Roberts. Gareth, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, lads. Uh, I'm a bit disappointed, I have to say. That's how I'm feeling. Is the disappointment from the result exclusively or are there aspects of the performance that are kind of making it a bit worse? 
Uh, yeah, both really. I mean, to start the season with only two points out of six, uh, with Man United, uh, sorry, Man City, of course, having a flawless start, which they always seem to have. It, that's disappointing. I think we all were thinking it was going to be a out the traps kind of season after what what happened last season. Uh, obviously, we won the two cups, but disappointed not to get one of the big ones. And you kind of thought, well, bit between the teeth, here we go. Um, I think the injuries have obviously influenced the situation. Ten players not available uh, last night. But yeah, it's just not quite there at the moment for me. It's not quite clicking and that's a little bit of a concern. Um, you know, Nunes, I'm sure we're going to come on to talk about him and his, his daft actions last night. But, you know, he scored a couple of goals for us, but it, you, you can tell he's new to the side and you can tell his teammates are still struggling really for an understanding. I'm sure that'll come as the season goes on, but... You know, I'm looking at it currently and saying, well, you know, Mo Salah looks a bit blunted at the moment for some reason, uh, albeit he looks creative, but he doesn't look like he's going to score. And obviously we want him in situations where he will score. Obviously we're missing Sadio Mane. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a concern. I do think it's going to get a lot, a lot, lot better when, when players come back. And I think we saw that last night. As soon as you see Joe Gomez and Henderson on the pitch, Liverpool look a lot better side. And so instantly we're all turning to each other in the stands and saying, well, why why weren't the, those two in the lineup from the very start? But, you know, Klopp explained later that the, with the pair of them, there'd been issues through the week and they didn't trust them to play the 90 minutes, unfortunately. What is holding Mo Salah back from exploding so far this season, do you think? I just think the understanding's obviously different, isn't it? I mean, you know, you talk about Liverpool's front three for the last however many years, and it was there was a real understanding there, you know. You could throw a blanket over them at times in terms of how close they were to each other, um, in terms of how they played and how they linked up and things like that. You got Diaz, who's still relatively new to the side. A absolutely superb goal last night, by the way. You got Nunes, who's, you know, that's his home debut for him last night. So, you know, Salah's playing with different players all of a sudden. I think it's probably as simple as that. I don't, I don't feel like there's a huge issue there. If you're looking at his touch or the way he's taking players on at times, you know, he's, he's there and he looks on it and he looks fit. He looks ready. He's, he signed his new contract, of course. I just think the dynamics of the side have changed a little bit at the moment. Not helped as well by the midfield situation. You know, the midfield is not the, the Liverpool's first choice midfield. It, ha- it helps massively when Thiago's in the side. Unfortunately, you know, you look at his track record, it always seems to be that he plays 50 to 60% of a, of a season rather than the whole season. We're seeing that again. He's obviously out with an injury again. Uh, but when he returns, I think you see a bit of a sea change again in how Liverpool play, how they link up, how many times you're getting the likes of Salah on the ball. But yeah, I think positionally they're just all struggling a little bit with with the new the new personnel, the new system, and and of course missing players as well. So it's just when I said before, it's just not clicking. It's just not fluid at the moment for me. It's a bit of a struggle. But what I would say is. You're not seeing any issue there with attitude. You know, there's no there's no hangover or anything like that, which I'm sure people will be writing about uh, from last season. I don't think it's that. You saw the spirit last night at 10 men. We were absolutely brilliant with 10 men. And, and, and one of the things that I would question is, why weren't we that good with 11 men? I, I, the hangover question was actually, I was coming to that next. I, um, it's, it's such a weird, unquantifiable, intangible thing to talk about. Like, a team suffers a great disappointment like you do in the Champions League final. It's not that the spirit is affected next year. Just like it just takes a little bit to get the belief back. Or or maybe it's like your heart is broken 
and you have to climb from the very bottom of the mountain all the way back up to the top again. And that just takes a little while for everybody to remember or to tap into what it was that got them there in the first place. So I, I, I get the point you're making that it doesn't look like there's a physical hangover, but sometimes there's just a little bit of a, a mental, Ugh, I have to do this work again. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, and what, one thing I would say about the, the, the vast majority of this group that we still got playing for Liverpool is they've the experienced that, of course. I mean, you know, missed out on the league title by a point last season. Uh, they've obviously done that once before when they got the 97 points. Uh, they've been beaten in a Champions League final before as well. And on, on those occasions, they bounced back and won in you know straight away the following season. And so I, when I said before that, I, I, you know, we we expected as fans to see the same. That's why really. And you know, you look at the, I still call it the Charity Shield. I'm sticking with it. If, if you look at the Charity Shield um, performance and I'm beating Man City there, I think we all still felt the same way. We were like, right, we're ready for the season. Let's go. Fulham was then disappointing, of course. Last night was disappointing, of course. And and you could be right. There could be a little bit of a mental funk around the whole situation about how it ended because to end with the two cups was brilliant still. And, you know, like I will always champion silverware because you look at little kids' faces uh, in that parade and, you know, they weren't turning to each other and say, oh, these aren't the right cups. They just see cups and they see it wrapped in in Liverpool red and, and, and it's absolutely brilliant to see. But... I think, you know, of course, the actual players, the manager, they would they will have wanted the Champions League, they will have wanted the Premier League and to come so close in both will have affected the mindset a little bit, I'm sure. It just needs to click for me. And, you know, Sadio Mane is a miss. There's no two ways about that. I think, you know, he, he scored more goals against Crystal Palace than anyone uh, during his time at Liverpool. So, you know, I'm sure Palace were glad that he wasn't on the pitch. And he was the type of player for me that when things aren't quite right... His sheer will sometimes could drag you through. He, he, he would score a goal from nowhere and off you would go. And um, We got that a little bit, I thought, last night from Diaz, of course, with that absolutely brilliant goal where he's taken five or six of them out of the equation and then putting it in the corner. I think there's more to come from him. There's been a bit of a debate about can he finish, can he score enough goals and that kind of thing. I think he's partly answered that last night with that goal, um, and, and I think we can expect more from him. I think he looks absolutely brilliant, and we're only going to—he's going to—he's going to keep on going up uh, trajectory-wise, and I think we'll get more goals from him, and that will be a big, big help. It does feel like it was a much better performance from Liverpool without the yeah. goal scoring. So it's not like they—they're playing really badly. I think they didn't play very well against Fulham, in in all honesty, but yeah, actually fair. they played much better last night and just didn't score. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, you know, it was utterly dominant in the in the first half. And you look at, even when you look back at the statistics from the game, I think there's like 24 shots from Liverpool and 10 of them were blocked. So that sort of tells you, you know, the, the type of performance it was from Palace as well. There was a lot of last-ditch stuff, legs and bodies and stuff getting in the way of shots. Equally, though, you know, Liverpool's finishing wasn't quite what it should be. Nunes, before he's sent off, should have scored... Um, Salah probably looks at one and says he should have scored Carvalho had one as well when he came on he should have scored so there was plenty of chances there really I mean I'm sure Palace will say the same as well of course they hit the post Um, but you know that breakaway goal in the first half they hadn't been in our half that was their first shot I mean, and it was a well-executed goal. Um, you know, as I think it is, does brilliant, doesn't he? Plays the ball through, um, and then Zahar's away, and there's no, there's no way. You know, Nat Phillips is winning a foot race with Zahar. He's away. He's timed the offside trap brilliantly, and it's a great finish right into the corner. But it, it did feel a real sucker punch that, and it was, you know, you stood there thinking, 
is this one of those nights? And it kind of was, but, you know, to at least get a point, I think that sort of saves the confidence a little bit, albeit that draws are no use to us, really. We all know that we've... I mentioned before two titles that we've came or two title races where we've come so close. When you came, when you started to analyse it again at the end of the season, you did, of course, look at draws and say, "Well, we should have won there. We should have been beating Brentford, whatever it might have been." Um, and and we don't want that situation to develop again. So for me now, it's an absolute must win to go to Old Trafford and win, get a bit of momentum going. Uh, we've got Bournemouth, Newcastle, and Everton. I think it is after that. All games, I would say, are winnable. I know there's going to be plenty of talk about it being Man United. There'll be plenty of talk about it being Everton as well, like there always is, because those are emotional games. But, you know, I would back Liverpool 100% to be able to get on a run, uh, put this behind them and get the season going in earnest now. Yeah. Um, Are there any concerns about the depth of the squad when the injuries have hit as early as this and... Like we don't know what Harvey Elliott's going to be just yet, mm-hmm. and James Miller's obviously at the end of his career. I, I'm I'm one of Miller's biggest fans, so like uh, I totally understand why he's in the team. He's totally reliable, and you know exactly what you're going to get. But if you're comparing the squad with City, for example, they have players who probably are um, at their peak, as opposed to either coming to a peak or bubbling up or over over their their peak at this stage. Is there any concerns around the midfield squad depth at the moment? Yeah, I would say so. Um, I think in the summer, you know, there's obviously been a lot of debate. I think Liverpool were, were linked with players as well, which seems to have got a little bit forgotten in the debate. Um, you know, they, they, they did seem to be in for, um, I'm going to embarrass myself trying to pronounce his name, but Chouameni, are we calling them? I, I'm, I'm really bad at pronunciation. But the lad who, the, lad who, the, the French lad who goes to Real Madrid, Liverpool were strongly linked with him. It, it did seem like they went in for him and he simply chose Madrid over Liverpool. Um, I think what you've got, to do, I, I, yeah, I think there was players Liverpool wanted out. If I'm, if I'm being honest with you, so I, I think they were looking to sell or move on. Uh, Chamberlain, I think, I think there was there was even talk of Kaita going at one point as well. And I think both of those players, if Liverpool had been able to shift them on, I think you maybe would have seen someone come in. Um, obviously, now with the injuries, it's easy enough to say, well, they definitely should have brought someone else in, but. We've seen already with the process, with this with this management, with these owners, with this coaching team, that they don't sort of settle for second best. They don't do the panic buying. They'll, they'll have a target. If they don't get the target, they'll keep the powder dry and they'll go for someone they really want, they, they, someone they think really improves the team. But I think I think the concerns over the midfield are, are absolutely fair enough. Thiago was absolutely world-class for me. Um, but, you know, injury-wise, he does have a record, which, like I said before, suggests that he will often only pay 50 or 60% of a season. Milner, Milner you mentioned, uh, incredible fitness levels, but he's 36 years old and you don't expect him to be starting week in, week out. Henderson, I think, you know, also in his 30s now, some question marks around him about what what's his level on a regular basis now as well. And then Keita, you know, Keita's fit, apparently. He was on the bench last night. So I would look at that and say, well, why is he why is he not forced the manager's hand? Why is he not in the side last night? Is there a fitness issue or is it simply that he's not playing well enough? He's been someone for me. There's a huge debate around them. There always is. But he's still one that's flattered, the, flattered to deceive at Liverpool for me. Uh, you know, he came with the big price tag, the big reputation, and he's not done it regularly enough. And he's in his, I think he's in his last year now at Liverpool. So if there's any time to pull his finger out, it should be now. You mentioned Elliot. I thought he was great last night. Um, I thought he was really impressive. I thought he was really impressive last season before the injury at Leeds United. Um, 
and and you know the lad the lad's got a big future in the game, and that's why they've they've recently given him a new contract. But what I would say when you were comparing sides is there's there's a lot of injuries. I mentioned before there was ten players unavailable last night for one reason or another, and I just think any squad where you get that rash of injuries in one go, it will affect what you're seeing ultimately. Um, and I think when when players are returning, when players are a bit fitter. Hopefully Liverpool will be okay, but yeah, I was I was banging, I was one of the ones that was banging the drums to say we should be in for someone. Conversations with my friends, I was saying I do think we should be looking to upgrade in midfield. I think Liverpool tried, but I don't think they could get who they wanted this summer. Unfortunately, was the Darwin Nunes red card a bit of a red flag by any chance? I don't know. I mean, he's only been sent off once before in his career, hasn't he? Um, mm. So and he didn't get sent off at all at Benfica. So you would say, I would say no. I think he was getting wound up. He was getting frustrated. I think you could see that on the pitch on the night in terms of his performance. Uh, there's a couple of chances there, including the one where he's at the woodwork, where you think, well, you probably should have scored. Um, I, th- I think I remember seeing his arms flapping a little bit when when Palace scored, uh, which again said something about his mindset. And then I think he was a bit naive. I, I think most people would agree he was naive in that he allowed himself to get wound up. Uh, he gets a little push in the back. He'd, he'd already had a little sort of backwards header butt at the at the player earlier on before the incident that he actually gets sent off for. So it did look like ultimately his head had had gone a little bit. I do think in general, like although he's you know he's influenced games, he scored goals, he's assisted a goal, all the rest of it. I do think he's looked a bit nervous um, so far, and that's understandable. I mean, you know, all players are different, all people are different, and I think. He's got. He's gone from being, you know, at Benfica, settled in a system, scoring goals, everyone raving about him, to now being in a, at a very different level in a different dressing room. He looks to me like someone who's desperate to impress, def- desperate to get the adulation and show that he was worth his price tag on all of those things. So you know, Klopp talked about didn't he? he wants to have a sit down with him. He was he was leaving it last night, but he's going to sit down with him from now on in. And, and maybe some of that talk is about like you know, you just need to you need to calm down a little bit here. You need to get your head right. Um, I don't know whether it's a red flag in terms of that kind of thing happening again. Um, we do, you know, it's a bit of a stereotype, isn't it? But we do like the sort of Uruguayan spirit in general. And we talk about, you know, when we watch their national side about they get stuck in, they're a little bit aggressive. They combine that aggression with skill and we love a bit of it. And obviously we had Suarez at Liverpool and that was one of the attributes we loved about him as Liverpool fans. So it, it's just it's just containing that and getting them to use that in, in the right way. I don't think you want to you. I don't think you ever want to take that type of thing totally out of someone's game because oh. I think it, personally it, it adds to someone's game. I can remember similar conversations about Wayne Rooney going way back when, and I can remember Ferguson saying he didn't want to take that out of his game because that aggression wins you the ball, wins your headers, puts you in places where if you didn't have it, you might not be. So. It, it, for me, it's not too much a concern. It was daft. It was very daft. It was very stupid. I've got no complaints whatsoever. It's a definite red card. Um, and yeah, he just fell into the trap from the defender there and he hopefully learned from it. Like, it is obviously that 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 sort of, that fire in, in Darwin Nunes is obviously something that Klopp's going to channel into something positive as the season goes on. There's no doubt about it. But I was just thinking when it did happen, I was like, when was the last time a player for Jurgen Klopp did get sent off for such a moment. Like, obviously, there's been a, a couple of challenges here and there, a second yellow, professional foul, whatever it may be. But but for something so daft, it felt like a very un-Liverpool uh, under Klopp moment, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. It's the first one for violent conduct under Klopp's reign. Is it? Um, Literally yeah, the first one. It, wow. 
yeah, for violent conduct. Um, and it's the first red card, I think, since Allison um, against Brighton. I think I'm right in saying. Andy Robertson, yeah, I think, in the two all with Spurs was the, yeah, the, the only one since then, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're spot on. I'm just thinking about Anfield. But um, yeah, the um, y- you're right to say that in general, Liverpool have always stayed the right the right side of the line under Klopp. And, and I think he's been big on that. I can remember a question a long time ago from a journalist where they talked about ag- aggression and they talked about getting stuck in in games and things like that. And he said then, early doors, that, you know, while he wants them to run themselves into the ground and show their aggression that way in terms of the press, and he wasn't a manager that was encouraging darker arts of the game as we always call it so yeah I, I would 100% say he's sitting down with him he's having a big chat with him he's saying this isn't what we want this isn't what we do and there's been very few problem childs full stop at Liverpool since Klopp's been here he, he doesn't seem to stand for it it isn't something he wants you look at you go back to Mamadou Sahu, um, you know and his, the situation with him he played up a little bit very soon he was out the door um, and then you know since then I think it's in the recruitment. Um, you know, I don't want to repeat what he said just in case I'm not allowed to. But if you saw what Ryan Lowe said about his recruitment policy at Preston North End, he doesn't recruit certain types of people, shall we say? Um, and I think Jurgen Klopp's got a similar policy. So, and any any signs of of doing something outside the box, something a bit different, something he doesn't want, I'm sure he'd be nipping that in the bud straight away. I think it's the same as the All Blacks, is it? No dickheads. That's the one. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, good question from one of our YouTube commenters, Powell74. Is it a bigger game for United or Liverpool next week? Liverpool win and Manchester United are bottom after three games. But if Manchester United win, then Liverpool go will be below the worst Man United team in 50 years. <laughs> That's a very football fan thing to say, isn't it? And I, to- I-, I-, I totally get it. I totally get it. I mean, you know, look, Man United... It- it's been awful for them, hasn't it? It's an awful start to the season. Questions about absolutely everything once again. And we all know that, you know, beating Liverpool would be a huge stick and plaster over all of that. That would get them some huge credits in the bank. So, you know, Liverpool have got to watch themselves in terms of that. But I would just say, it's it, you know, it's the same set of players. Um, it's a different manager, but largely the same set of players. And, you know, if the injuries clear up a little bit, I would be confident that we can go there and get a result. Perhaps not the result we got last season, uh, which will still rank as one of the best things I've ever seen on a football pitch. But um, I would still be confident of us going there. And, and look, it's huge for both sides, I would say. You know, I'm not one normally to jump on the tabloidies bandwagon and start saying, well, season over after two games or whatever. But I said right at the top to you that, you know, dropping four points at this stage when, you, when you've lost two titles by a point, you know, that is big. And, and we do know that, you know, City can be almost flawless in a season. We'll, we'll clock up ridiculous numbers. I've obviously spent a lot of money on a front man themselves who, you know, no doubt he will click and, and you could perhaps say he, he hasn't quite yet, but, you know, it's in the post. So that is a, quite a scary thought and it, it does make the game huge uh, for both sides. So it's hard to say who it's bigger for. I mean, you know, the, the Liverpool are in crisis line would be absolutely everywhere if Liverpool go to Old Trafford and lose. Three games in, only two points on the board. Um, I think Liverpool know that that's not acceptable and that's not what they'll be after. And I, I think Klopp will get them in the right place. He's been really good, I think, in general, last few years of, of sort of taking all the emotion out of situations like this. And I'm sure he'll do that again. Whereas, you know, the likes of us and fans who go to game and all the rest of it, we'll all ramp it up and we'll all argue with each other on social media. But I'm sure behind the scenes, 
they'll remain calm and they'll they'll prepare in the normal way. And the normal way is a way that's you know brought back ninety odd point seasons three times out of four in the last four seasons. So you know Liverpool have been doing a lot right. And I don't expect them to fall off a cliff anytime soon. Last question for you then. As a Liverpool fan, is this the most worried you've been about the collection of talent that City have over the years? Is, do you, are you scared more about this team being the best City team that we've seen? I, I think there's always... I, I've always had that about them because, you know, the, the the resources they've got, the manager they've got, you know, I'd love... As much as it's, it's almost horrible to say, but I'd, I'd love a season where... De Bruyne isn't there week in, week out. I wouldn't wish injury on anyone, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's annoying how good he is and how consistent he is and how he drives that side on season after season. And it's even more annoying that he's a Liverpool fan. So, um, yeah, the, you look at the lineup, you look at their their best team and, of course, you, you, you're worried about it and you, you, you're worried about their consistency and you're worried about the how much teams in this league can lay a glove on them at times. Um, but, you know, the, the, there's always been little chinks in the armour and, you know, for all that were four points behind already, we were 14 behind at one point last season and then we took it to the wire. So, you know, nothing's done, is it? And nothing's set in stone and the stuff that... There are still random aspects about football that I think keep us all interested. So, you know, had Liverpool not been as good as they'd been, City would have been running away with the title every year. Yeah. Liverpool have made it a competition Um, and there is still a randomness Liverpool are experiencing randomness right now in terms of injuries, who gets the injuries, when they stack up, the, the time of the season that you play other sides and where they're at. You know, there is a randomness still there. So I, I don't get I look at them and I worry because I, I respect them and they're talented and they're a great they're a great football team with a great manager. But equally I always think there's a randomness randomness about seasons and all Liverpool have got to do is stay in there and make sure they're up there. And if City do slip, if there is a problem Liverpool have got to be there ready to take advantage. Carrot, this is the first time we've had you on in a while. If anybody wants to keep up to date with your latest output, where's the best place to get you these days? Um, I guess just on Twitter at the moment. Uh, so I'm, I'm Robbo Heighton on uh, Twitter. Um, I'm no longer uh, involved with the Amphir app these days. Um, and I'm taking a little bit of time out at the moment. So I was pleased to get the invite from yourselves. Um, if anyone's out there looking for someone to talk about Liverpool, ah, yeah. Um, and yeah, just keep up with me on Twitter. Anything that I will be doing, I'll be posting on there. So yeah, that's probably the best place. Well, enjoy the break. Uh, it's well earned and whatever comes next, we're all uh, very keen to see and we wish you the very best of luck with it. Thanks a million for joining us today, Gareth. Cheers. Cheers. It's uh, Gareth Roberts here giving some thoughts on the Liverpool situation. Um, there's a, there is a fear. It's like a, justifiably so that um, the City machine has already clicked into overdrive. If they were to have three centre-backs get injured... They're not stacked. If the two first choice fullbacks were to get injured, they're not stacked. They will find a way. You know, they can take Rodri back at right back if they need to. But that's the level of injury crisis they need. Yeah. They need a full blown crisis to derail them. Um, unless, like as he says, a De Bruyne or a Haaland goes down. I just think they're very specific players. Now, I know they won the first of their two in a row while De Bruyne was out for large parts of the season but I think Gundogan was freakishly good during that time and while he's still absolutely outstanding he almost put the team on his back during a period when De Bruyne wasn't there I still think that Rodri has stepped up in the meantime and so they could do didn't that didn't yeah, like, but they could do it again is what yeah. I'm saying obviously but Rodri like, has got but Rodri has become Gundogan is a different player from 
De Bruyne. And yeah, but he can do the advanced. He can fill work. in a little bit. Rodri has been or sensational. Or bring drop Foden into midfield more and like. Yeah, that's or Grealish. And yeah, they've got, they've got stacks of options. That has always been the fear, though, hasn't it? The just the, the robot at the door, uh, waiting to dominate and terminate all in front of them. And I think now they've added the literal Terminator. Yeah, <laughs> it's like nine fourteen this morning. OTBA and brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Off the ball is back in Vicar Street tomorrow night in association with Cadbury FC. It's a massive roadshow. Michael Owen, Ian Wright. Emma Byrne and Karen Kearney are going to be our guests. There'll be brilliant stories in the night, obviously, and we'll obviously look forward to the rest of the season. It's an exclusive off-air event and tickets are limited, so don't delay. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and a reminder, ticket proceeds will go towards supporting Irish women's grassroots football. T's and C's apply. We'll see you on the night. Here's what we got on OTB Sports Radio today at uh, 1 o'clock, OTB Gold. It's Barry Ryan, The Ascent. There's a dad cast at 3. Career retrospective is Patrice Evra at 4. OTB Gold is the life and times of Johnny Kilbane at 6. And then tonight, the show is live with Will O'Callaghan in the hot seat. You can follow off the ball across our, all our social channels. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And be sure to download the OTB Sports app for the very latest in sports audio. After the break, we're back with a young star of Irish show jumping, Mark Watchman. Uh, Max Watchman, sorry, of Tipperary, speaking ahead of the Dublin Horse Show, which starts this week at the RDS in Dublin. First, Pat Nevin joined Joe on the show last night and waxed lyrical about the brilliance of Rhys James. Have a look. Is he a centre-back in a three in the making or will he always ultimately be a wing-back or right-back? Anything. Doesn't matter. Whatever he wants. Absolutely doesn't matter. Play him on the left and he'll be fine there as well. Um, Now and again... You get players over the years. And can you remember that period where Paul McGrath, and if somebody ran towards him and you thought, oh, well, no, no problem there, because mm. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to get by, because mm. no one ever does. And there's now and again players go through f- phases in their career, and it, it can sometimes be three, four, five years. And they are. They're kind of unstoppable, a number of things to do. Rhys James is going, he's a, a period like that, you, it's horrible watching people come up against them. Because the power is ridiculous, the pace is ridiculous. He's good technically in the ball, but he's almost dismissive. And I was talking about standing right by the dugout before the game, and Harry Kane came running, out, running past us just just um, about half an hour before the start of the game. Yeah. And when you stand beside Kane, I hadn't realised really how big he is. He's remember he used to be a little bit puppy fat, you know, but you no, know, he is built now. He's seriously built, and he's about six three, whatever. Um, but he looks great, honestly. He just bounced off Rhys James time and again, and that's nothing against Harry. That's the fact that James is very, very special. But I think Chelsea, if they're going to do anything and stay in that top four, get to that top four this season, they can keep James there. They need to get another centre-back in. OTB AM. All right, we're joined by Irish show jumper Max Watchman. Max, good morning to you. How are you getting on? Hi, good. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. It's a big week for you. The um, Dublin Horse Show is on this weekend. What's your build-up to it like? What? How do you get ready for something like this? Yeah, it's an exciting week ahead. Um, I suppose you just uh, ride the horses and make sure they're going well for it. Um, that was kind of the build-up. Is there much work to be done with the horse this week? I mean, obviously, most of the hard work is done, but like, how? Like, is it completely tapered down, or is there a bit of fitness work that happens during the week? I suppose a lot of your hard work is done by the time you get here. Our horses arrived um, at the show in Dublin this morning, so it's just about getting them out and getting them relaxed um, and having them in a good mindset for the week, I think. So they're actually, they stay in Dublin for the week? Yeah, they do. 
Right. And what's your schedule? Like how many different events are you competing in and how many times will you have to ride? Um, the start of the week starts off quite busy with three three events the first day and two the second. Then as the week goes on, it gets a bit quieter as kind of the bigger events um, start to happen. Um, it gets quieter towards the end. And when is the Aga Khan? Uh, Friday evening. Right. And so that's the is the whole week kind of building up to that really from your perspective? Yeah, that's the that's the big event of the week. Um I think that's the most important it's definitely the most important event and yeah, big build up towards that. Can you talk us uh Max uh, a little bit through the, the last couple of years and trying to, to get to this stage in your own career and I know obviously your own family is, is steeped in, in in kind of a not just equestrian but all equine sports. Can you talk us through a little bit about how you came into the, the, the sport of a of equestrian and, and, and how you got to this point? I suppose I was always into into horses. Um, my family are quite heavily involved in the racing side of it, so um, I was naturally brought into to horses that way. Um, when I was younger, I started riding at a riding school in Tipperary um, and got the bug of show jumping. And you now I've been doing show jumping since I've been about ten years old, and you now I love it. Before you get into show jumping, is it what, what else were you doing with regards to, to the horses? Um, I suppose I was just riding around. Um, my dad trained racehorses, so I was very int- interested in that at a young age. Um, I used to go out with him in the mornings and watch the horses canter and gallop. And no, it's I, I'm still very quite interested in the racing, but um, from the riding point of view, I'm I'm much more interested in show jumping. How vast is the different? Uh, how vast are the differences, I should say, between being a jockey and racing, and then obviously from from your own perspective in show jumping I, I presume it's a th- there are some subtle differences but then there are some vast differences yeah I suppose it's it's very different um, I suppose racing is done with the horses are, are at a much younger age um, and they're kind of retiring or going to stud when a show jumper is starting um, so that, that's kind of the main difference I think um, from a horse's perspective without uh, blowing your own trumpet here at what point do you start to realise I'm pretty good at this Jeez, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm good now, but um, no, I, I'm just loving show jumping and um, no, I'm enjoying it. So happy to be doing it. Um, the like Looking at Oshin Murphy, obviously away from racing at the moment and turns out he's pretty good at uh, show jumping too. Um, obviously the skills are relatively transferable. So when you were a kid riding out, was show jumping always in your head or did you actually start out wanting to be a jockey? No, when I was younger, um, I, I wanted to be a jockey. Um, I was I was very interested in racing, actually. And uh, when I was about 10 years old, I, I got into show jumping. And um, yeah, I haven't looked back. It's obviously, it's, it's a business as well. Is this now going to be your life's work, it, like buying and selling and trying to breed show jumpers and train show jumpers? Is that how you continue to finance the rest of the operation to give you the time to compete as an international show jumper? Yeah, I suppose um, show jumping, we're very lucky in show jumping as obviously it's a sport, but it's a business at the same time. Um, we're gradually getting into trading with some horses with um, Keen O'Connor and that's very interesting. Um, I suppose Coolmore show jumping, um, quite like Coolmore, is going to have to stand on its own two feet in, in years to come. So it's very interesting and I'm, I'm very interested in the trading side of it. And tell me a little bit about um, like learning about what, actually makes a good horse for show jumping versus what might be what on on the face of it might look like a good horse how how do you know which ones are going to be good and which ones aren't 
I suppose everyone looks for different things and they look for different things to suit their own riding. Um, I think scope, um, which is the easiness to cover the back rail, I think that's a, that's a very, very big thing. And I think for championships, you, you really need to have a scopey horse. Obviously, the horse needs to be sound as well because the, hor- the horse needs to be healthy. And um, ultimately, if the horse isn't healthy, he's not going to be able to compete at the highest level. And then just in terms of the, the selection for the Aga Khan, as far as I understand it, there's a, a short list. You're on that short list. When do you just find out if you're actually competing or if you are competing, when did you find out? Um, I suppose the five was named about two weeks ago. Um, and Michael Blake, the chef keep, will make his decision closer to the, to the Aga Khan um, to see who's, who's on the team. And how do you, what do you have to do in the meantime to try and give yourself the best opportunity to be part of that? I suppose we'll all jump our horses here on Wednesday and um, Michael will decide who's in the best form and once he sees the horses jumping, what horses are jumping well um, and he'll make his decision after that. What about the relationship with the horse on the week of the event? Can you get a sense of how well they'll go or otherwise a few days before the event? Yeah, um, I actually, I, I hacked my horse out this morning. He just arrived here, so I just gave him a walk around the show and he feels in great form. He's nice and relaxed and he's not overfaced by it anyway. He's a very experienced horse, so um, hopefully he goes well this week. What are you looking for this morning when you're trying to judge how relaxed he is? Uh, this morning, I just walked him around just to just to get him out, out of the stable for, for an hour. Um, he'll get a bit of work then this evening. Um, so no, very happy with how with the form he's in I think and, and hopefully hopefully it goes well and what's the rest of the year like after this Max what, what, what's the schedule like in terms of competition at an international level um, it's quiet for a couple of weeks after Dublin um, and then we'll build back up and, and go to some more shows towards the end of the year internationally or uh, I guess obviously internationally but there must be some in, in Ireland as well is there a big kind of um, like is, is your next step then to compete on a regular basis uh, at international level yeah, hopefully. I suppose um, I suppose we, we compete on an international level, level um, for the whole year. Um, there's there's lots of international shows um, all around the world. And um, no, we, we, we try to attend as many as we can. All right. Well, listen, we wish you the very best of luck. It's obviously a, a big week for you, Max. Best of luck and hope it goes really well for you. Cheers. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's uh, Max Watchman there, who's um, part of the shortlisted team for the Ag Can this week at the... Uh, Dublin Horse Show you can uh, get tickets you can pre-book tickets at dublinhorseshow.com it's obviously taking part from the 17th to the 21st of August and um, yeah or I think you can rock up and get them at the um, box office at the RDS as well uh, right 26 minutes past 9 some comments for me from a little bit earlier Bobby Dwyer a resident Spurs fan poo-pooing the notion that the league race is over of course Premier League title race nowhere near over the gap is only two points after Spurs draw with Chelsea at the weekend obviously two points dropped not four points dropped by Liverpool Liverpool and irrelevance Spurs fans that's how far they've come also after Nunez short fuse last night I can't wait for Romero marking when Spurs play Liverpool Spurs fans are feeling themselves it's going to be interesting to see who they are what their character is because they've been largely non-existent yeah it's kind of like what would happen to Mayo fans if they won in all Ireland isn't it what would the transformation be like no I think we know what they'd be like I mean, you, you know what they would be like. Yes, and I think I know what Spurs fans would be like as well. I think Spurs fans would be fun. Oh, you're, I suppose it would mean something to you, whereas the rest would just be like, oh, that's interesting, yeah, but you're, you're an Arsenal fan. Have you made your peace with the Mayo fans? It's important you make some, you know, you make, you make peace with people. 
<laughs> so it is, yeah, making peace with people as well. Build bridges. Don't don't break them down. Yeah. I was uh been uh something you need to take care of. Something I need to take care of. Get your affairs building, in order. It's building bridges, yes. Leave no stone unturned. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I've been getting getting tweets saying I'm gonna go to the um interviews on Saturday for the new male manager. Oh man, we should have sent you that would have been amazing. Yeah, no, they're happening. You just time. like um not around this weekend. You're just taking photographs of the people going in and out and they're like shocked faces yeah. and everybody's there. What do you how did you know about this? Yeah, I've been get, uh, I think I've been. Do mentioned. you know where they are? I presume Mikel Park. Oh, just okay. So yeah. there will be people actually standing outside going, like, How'd it go? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Give your give yourself marks out of ten. Well, obviously I'm ten out of ten, but my chances are about five. What what it's gonna be is that it's gonna because it's Mayo and because So the interviews are this this weekend. I think so, yeah. Because it's been such a, a theatre so far, what you're gonna have they're gonna like pull up in like a stretch demo and like Oshi McConville will like come out of it and it'll be like his oh my god it's Oshi McConville's music playing and it'll be dressed like um, an NFL player before they go into the locker rooms that would be amazing and then their entire backroom team and it's just like a, a clown car of like consistent selectors coming out behind Ray MC and that'll be his team uh, and then they do their like post interview uh, interview with the, the mass media the international media to send on Mikhail Park and we can turn this thing in and just pack Mikhail Park out do him on the pitch Maybe it could be like a, a squash court behind the glass where we can actually like press ourselves up against the glass and watch the interviews. Yeah, that would be good. Soundproof. Or could, we could just do like a, a, an apprentice style boardroom interview and just dramatise it. The three people being chairman of the Mayo County Board, James Horn and David Brady. That would be good. And That would be yeah. interesting. Yeah. I guess so. That that will be keeping. In DB the hasn't been uh, grandfathered onto any of those. No. Missing a trick or waiting is biding his time. You want to be the man after the man, don't you? It, yeah, I, I guess that's probably true as well. Yeah, I'm sure he's up. Uh, he's, he's got a current coaching job somewhere, doesn't he? Um, at, at club level, I think. Yeah. Uh, Israel Alatunde is racing at seven fifteen p.m. tonight in the semi-finals of the European Championships, and it's worth taking a look uh, at that tonight. We will be back tomorrow at half past seven with the latest episode of You Had to Be There it's our first foray into the world of GA alongside Tipperary hurling legend Park Maher we'll have Deal or No Deal with Phil Egan as the transfer window reaches business time and we have plenty more besides right now following our chat earlier about Cork's updated Mount Rushmore which hasn't been updated because Colm can't update it uh, has decided that um, Paul Donovan's not on it that was his decision and he's standing by that as it stands here is Sligo's not so contentious version Enjoy, and we'll see you tomorrow. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. OTB AM. With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.